Tune in weekly to the Piper Carter podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play to the Piper Carter podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter. All right, back in full effect, we are in the Detroit is Different podcast studios once again. 10 in the game. We're doing it right now. Piper Carter podcast in full effect. And the team is here like Voltron coming together. Piper Carter, Brittany in effect as well. Brittany got the laptop. She got the research going. And we have a very special guest, a friend of mine, uh, also a family member of one of my hombres in arms, the great Sterling Tolls. And that's what's happening. But Piper Carter, how are you doing this wonderful Tuesday evening. I just want to let people know that a majority black Detroit matters. Yes. Okay. That's yes. it. Let's start it off like that. Yes. My album, is, <laughs> my album is 85% of the 700,000. Okay. Strong. I love it. Get that plug going in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Detroit like, is different. You said the majority. Right. Of? First of all, we are the majority. Yeah. We have to acknowledge we are the majority. Let's start there. And uh, the majority. Detroit is majority black. The world is majority black. Let's start there. But Detroit is majority black. 85%. And a and a majority black Detroit matters. So just wanted to that'll be our marketing for a long while. <laughs> our marketing. Wonderful. That'll be part of our marketing. But yeah, um so yeah, we got we got Care Worthy in the building. We got Brittany, we got um what are you drinking over there, Kari? So he's it. drinking some red, red dye number forty. Hey, <laughs> I'm just hey, picking on all you all day. I'm sure. No, it's all good. But the that, Corona and grenadine, grenadine. I'm going true. Grenadine going on. True Eastside style because that's. Uh, <laughs> I was to drink a lime. So good though. I'm not Aren't you supposed lie. to have a lime with Corona? No, you, you grenadine. Want I, I'm not. I, I have I to tell you. But I have to tell you the story of grenadine and Corona. Yeah, but before we start, I wanted to um, or as we start, I wanted to start off with um. You know, why can't we ever get away from all these, like, murdering of, like, <coughs> children, black men, black um, people, black youth? Um, just wanted to open up. Maybe we could do just, like, I don't know, a, at least 10. I know it's radio, so it's hard to be silent. Or not radio, but it's podcast, recording. If we could even just do, like, 10 seconds of silence um, for Lissandro Jr. Guzman Felice. He was beaten to death in the Bronx a few days ago um, through mistaken identity. They stabbed him. They stabbed him in the neck. Um, he had to run to the hospital, um, which was only a block away, but you know that the seconds count when your life is bleeding out of you. He was refused um, in the store for, you know, them to help him. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this brother looked th from his family and the pictures and the videos and all. is uh, just a good kid. I hate to say good or bad, but let's just say a loving, uh, happy person, uh, very much loved by his community, his family. Um, and, yeah, so if we could just give him... 10 seconds.
Okay. So, yeah. I mean, this kid was what? He was 15. That's a child. Is a preteen. Um, I'll give real quick. Um, I know stuff is, like, coming out, but just real quick. It says um, they gave a phone number. It's, it's uh, 800-577-TIPS, T-I-P-S. Um, if people are listening, listening that um, are in New York City that have things that they uh, maybe there was at least four or five people filming. There was one camera video I saw from the top window where the um, people were looking down and he ran to the hospital. That was a one. And then there was another one. Well, that was probably inside the store. There was the inside the store video. And there was another like outside the store camera when he kind of like looked up and then ran to the hospital um, and there's probably, you know, some more videos that will surface. But um, on a positive note, if you will, I, I wanted to uplift that um, what was really beautiful after the fact is that the Bronx is still a community. The His neighborhood in the Bronx came out. If you saw, I saw today, um, they announced they arrested um, eight suspects. So I don't know how many of that is going, how many of that is going to stick. But um, they were outside his funeral um, in the Bronx at the Ortiz funeral home, and it was like his parents were standing on the top of the stoop, <coughs> and um, they were holding up a sign, uh, you know, about I think I, I don't know what it said. I'll I'll go through, but it said something about stop the violence in the community or whatever. It was like his dad, his mom, his sister, and the rest of the family was there, and then um, you just you know, heard the mom say, look, thank you for coming. It was thousands of people. And she was like, thank you for coming out. You know, thank you for supporting. We really appreciate you. And people were screaming and cheering and just gave them like so much love and appreciation. You could just feel it. And I just thought that was so beautiful that this whole community, I mean, celebrities came out. I saw like La La and um, Carmelo Anthony and um, like Rihanna oh, and uh, who else? Cardi B. Like it was just like a lot of people were just really outpouring support and love. Um, two things that were really interesting. The borough president <laughs> was there and the dude from the community like let him have it. He was like, bro, you come out here to get your face seen. Like, where are you in the community? You don't even live here. Like that was pretty powerful. And I thought another powerful thing, these guys, you know, they do the like the hot rod kind of things. It was kind of like. Uh, I don't know so much about cars, but it's those kind of hot rod cars and motorcycles and all that. Like they came out and they like spun and they did donuts and spun in circles for him and just like hyped it up. They had the streets blocked off and you could just feel the energy that it was that it's a community, you know. And I thought something else that was really strange. They had hundreds of candles for like, you know, um, a vigil like outside the store. And somehow miraculously, all the candles just like fell on their own That's unreal. it was unreal and people were like whoa like his spirit is angry you know he doesn't like the way he left or whatever and um and another powerful thing i thought is the people were like yo you didn't to the store owners you didn't support this young man mm-hmm. um you know like being able to come into your store and like get some help like you didn't help him so we're gonna shut your store down they shut that store down so that store is now shut down as far as I know. 
Um, and I mean, it sucks. Like it super sucks. And and for what? It was mistaken identity. Like they didn't. I don't know. It's like what the heck? And you know, we just talked about that last week. Like last week, we just talked about with the whole thing with um extinction, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's like the disregard for life, young life, you know. Uh, and you know, and I hate to say, you know, respectability. Po- I don't want to get into respectability politics, but I guess it just hurts a little bit more when you see that this was like I want to say an innocent kid <coughs> or a kid that was living still in his innocence. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in the streets. He wasn't. I mean, and I don't mean to even infer that someone that's in the streets is a less valuable life. So I don't want to put that message out there either. Well, the thing is, I think I think that um, that young, I think kids deserve a an opportunity to be kids mm-hmm. and the opportunity to transition into a more mature mature state mm-hmm. and that's getting nailed that's getting cut down way mm-hmm. too often mm-hmm. you know i think the the cult of celebrity in this country has become so bad that instead of helping one another mm. we're trying to film it for, mm. for our own personal celebrity right so i can shout out world star or i can shout out whatever other foolishness yeah. instead of actually using my cell phone to call for help right <laughs> i'm gonna film this madness so i can be famous on some level whoa and that happened like in both instances mm-hmm. in the way right because like last week with the xxx tentacion um they filmed him and you could see the video of him like his lifeless body and it's like you're saying like and the same thing with this kid you see people there was people actually filming this it's like uh yeah so you know you made the comment earlier about community the community should be there before and during the fact not after the fact right you know communities used to support one another and stop madness like that stop violence like that right that's that's a community Mm-hmm. You know, everybody coming out to commiserate. Oh, so that's not what a community is really supposed to be about. It's right. supposed to be more preventive, uh, more supportive, not just hey, it, this this horrible thing happened. Now we're going to be reactionary. Yeah. Wow. In the in the sense of the after effect, though, I would say um, it is good to see. You know, when you talk about grieving, you talk about losing losing a son before you know you leave this earth. That's a lot to deal with, and I can't even speak to it. But to see that the, that community gave her a sense of strength <coughs> to come out and to mm. be so vocal was powerful. You know, I, I do agree with what you're saying. Though we have to take one, we have to take this the definition definition of community to a different level, back to levels that we you know that you just defined. Um, and in, in order to do that, I think we have to take a look at what we're doing well. In the sense of quote unquote community, and mm-hmm. you know, I move forward, you know, but situations like this are, are tough to even speak to because you go back to just being the human element of speaking about death, you know. I know. And, and, and you know what even sucks more, or not more, but just as terrible, all those guys are young. Like you saw the ages of the guys arrested there, like 19, 21. I think the oldest may have been 24, but these are like young people, young men. Ganged up, they're grown men. Now, don't give me—they grown men, but they're young men. Mm-hmm. They ganged up on a child, 
and because they thought he was another guy. Now that's the other thing. The mistaken identity piece was because there was a young lady who um basically the whole thing was that uh there was some sex tape. Someone's sister. Supposedly. Someone's sister. Uh and it was the sex tape and they were getting <coughs> revenge because they uh had run a train or something like that. So you know, it's interesting, right? Because on the one hand, when you have casual conversations with folks, what do people always say? If that was my sister, if that was my, um, you know, daughter, you know what I'm saying? I would do blah, 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 blah. And then here, right, we see this kind of vigilante mm-hmm. justice, if you will, or vigilante act, right? Where people right. Uh, on one hand thought they were doing the right thing. Because when we hear about these other cases of people being raped and people being violated the first thing that people always do say i would have done this and i would have done that because that's that's the feeling right at that time and then here you have people who thought they were (coughs) you know being just in you know uh defending her in some way and they were mistaken you know what i'm saying so it's all like complex and 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 super warped but it also goes to show you know why uh this vigilante <laughs> justice sure. you know what i'm saying is like you you there's no process for like trying to figure out like what's the truth or right. or you know what i'm saying I mean, i've got in conversation with people and you know i'm a bit older of course but people who are in that demographic in that age bracket and they even just you know just mention how how just emo all these younger cats are mm-hmm. you know so when you're extra emotional and you're not discerning these sort of things can happen. You mm-hmm. know, your hair, everything's too hair trigger, too permanent. This is it. You know, you're not taking into account that, you know, life is it. That's it. You get one go round. Mm. And, you know, there, there, are, there are so many things for punishment before someone needs to die. Mm. But you're not, you're not thinking about that. You're like, right. I'm just going to make this snap decision, this hair trigger reaction, and that's that. Right. We're almost too much in the moment. Get, well, you know, it's not even so much as being in the moment. You know, being in the moment even takes some sort of thought, some sort of processing, some mm-hmm, sort of, some mm-hmm. sort of, like I said, some sort of discernment of the elements that exist. Mm. You know, you can't just go in and try to deal out the ultimate justice and not be certain right. this is the person that deserves it. Right. And and even if they deserve it, you're not really the person right. to administer it. Right. That's is that so <coughs> complex? Because then you talk to, <laughs> you know, you talk to the let, uh, uh, you know, th- they say that the girl lied or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't. I'm not gonna say that she lied, but I'm gonna say that it is said that she lied, right? Mm-hmm. So, but then you look at circumstances where we've heard these terrible stories about people being sexually violated or violated, mm-hmm. and the first thing we say is they need to be murdered. Uh, you know, like that we, 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 and you know, and that's what we feel, right? That's what we feel like at that time. But even still, that's, that's just too, that's, that even lets the person off the hood because you should be around to feel the pain mm-hmm. and regret of what you've done. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. You know, just, 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 I'm just going to annihilate you. That's it. That's, that, that doesn't solve it mm-hmm. well enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a couple of conversations that, <coughs> that you all are having. And this is, this may be my numbness to a lot of this like i'm i'm surprised it's not more violence um mm. more people aren't shot i mean the the prevalence and access to guns 
like I was saying in the GMAC podcast mm-hmm. last week, mm-hmm. um, I actually think people are conducting themselves with a with a strong level of reserve, oftentimes, especially like in the city of Detroit, where I mean, some of the most when I say you're square, I'm <coughs> square because I'm not a criminal. I'm mm-hmm. not in street life. Mm-hmm. But some of the most common squares carry guns. I mean, we right. have an active city council right. where city council members that weren't even police officers have CCWs. Most right. of the most of the city staff has CCWs. Just so nor- grandmothers me, have CCWs. Yeah, so to me, if you have a gun, it's a justifiable reason in your mind to murder a person. Mm. Like there's no the whole carrying a gun just in case I have one and not need one. That's that's some bullshit. No, no, like no, no. If you have a gun, that tool is used to kill people. Right. The same way I got a I got a crock pot. It's used for slow cooking. Right. Now, I can do other shit with it. Right. But it's used for slow cooking. Guns right. are used right. to kill people. Right. So right. we have a justified reality in our culture that Very justifies true. murder. Now, we're relying on the discernment of every person and every person's mental state, yeah. uh, capacity of how they make decisions, uh, what mm. they think murdering a person is a decision to do for. Uh, whether that be over like a family member like a daughter or a sister or it could be like money it could be over respect it could be over I mean shit I, I mean or disrespect you're, or yeah, respect you're relying respect. on so many layers mm-hmm. knowing that so many I mean there are more guns in America than there are people in right, America of mm-hmm. so since there are more guns in America than people we're re- I actually think in, a, in in grand scheme per capita I'm surprised it's not more mass shootings. Well, I'm surprised. Well, let me that tell you something. I lived in Texas for years, and Detroit has nothing. You know, you tell people we have Detroit have CCWs. Yeah, people in Texas just have nothing. I've just got a gun yeah. and and a righteous indignation. <laughs> and that's yeah. a classic. I'm surprised more people aren't shot in Texas. Uh, a lot of people on, are shot in Texas. You're, you're relying wow. on the discernment of 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 a person and a human being. I mean, as they found out, like uh, South by Southwest this year with those bombs and shit like mm-hmm. that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the 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 behavior of people and when human beings choose to be violent, mm. which historically human beings do choose to be violent. Right. Uh, the, we're we're relying a lot on um on on the the sanity the 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 restraint. peaceful nature the mm-hmm. restraint the 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 good decision making of a lot of people oh. um, so, hopefully good decision making so i mean the the you know like I mean, you know, last night, I think the fireworks went off without uh, uh, an incident. I feel yeah, like they yeah. did. I didn't so, hear anything. Nothing. So, mm-hmm, I mean, neither. that, for, for, for most instances, people are like, hey, you may get shot at the fireworks. Or right. people will shoot at the fireworks because it's this many masses of people together. And with right. that many masses of people going per capita in Detroit, I assume if I walk across 10 people, and yes, Texas is definitely different than Detroit. But mm-hmm. the average 10 people, I think if they're between the ages of 20 and 50, out of 10 people yeah. in Detroit, I assume four got a CCW. Yeah. And Especially out of those now. four, probably <laughs> none of them even need to be packing. Right. But I'm relying on a reason for them to need a reason to be packing. Right. They could, you know what I'm saying? I could be getting gas and I'm dressed down because I dress down sometimes of what somebody may think. I wear black and I'm wearing black black shorts and I pull up on the gas pump next to you and I could get a trick, a gun in my face mm. just because... 
I got gas at the pump next to yours. Mm. And that's some right. real Detroit reality shit just mm. due to the prevalence of guns in our culture. And it could be a complete square. It could be like a, a Quicken Loans, Blue Cross Blue Shield lady mm. that pulled that goddamn trigger on. I mean, that, that pulled the gun on me. Right. Because she's afraid of her life just based on how I look. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, and it's a lot of, yeah, I mean, and fear is at the, fear is at the root. You I mean, obviously, because you don't, you don't get a gun without the reasoning of feeling as though I need a gun to have a reason to kill somebody because I'm afraid right. that without the ability to kill someone, I can't function in life. Now, right. I know a lot of gangsters and I've had this debate my whole life because I've never functioned with guns. I've known a lot of guns. I've shot guns. They're very prevalent in, in, in my culture. And I, and, and I mean, let's be real. They're very prevalent in American culture. Right. Yes. You know, Completely. so, so right. if, if, I mean, none of us don't, we all have family members. And I mean, some people collect guns. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, I feel that, yeah, guns are used to kill people. And it's certain people that think differently. And, and we need to expose these truths yeah. and, and have these real honest discussions. But on the flip side, I also feel that, because there are so many guns, guns do need to be in our existence. I mean, be in our community because I don't trust our government either. Yeah, so, you I definitely mean, don't it, want the government to only to only like only the government is armed. You know, right. <laughs> the people have to be armed as well. But I just 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 for clarity's sake, just wanted to say we were having this conversation, but we do understand that the incident that happened there, it was a knife involved or some mm. sharp object. It was a knife because they showed machete. the knife. It was a machete. Yeah, it's a machete. Um, yeah. And just, I mean, it was still a violent incident. Yeah. And I mean, hum- it, it's right. the violence of human nature that that we resort to violence when our misunderstandings go beyond any form of communication. Right. It is has been prevalent throughout history, especially uh, um, we would say modern history dominated by Europeans and European culture. Mm. Uh, uh, Most most societies impacted by European culture have historically uh, been influenced more violently. It just this is this is a reality. Influenced and responded more violently. To, yes, to influenced and responded more violently. Any sort of any sort of not not even conflict. The conflict comes from having that culture of violence, whereas you don't um, you don't handle disputes in a certain way. Yeah, even amongst you know? European nations. I mean, right. right now, I mean the 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 wars. Mm-hmm. I mean the the underbelly of you know the Scottish and English since shit when was that the, the damn the, <laughs> centuries the, the the middle ages you know what i'm saying right, to today right. you know what i'm saying yeah. uh italians which are more moorish people and right. and uh people further up into into like like great britain or further up into mm. like the Nordic. roman dynasties outside yeah. of what italy and and what was down near the mediterranean like this has been very prevalent throughout i mean martin the first martin luther you know what i'm mm. saying like this this shit with humans and violence and i guess i'm taking it to a a very philosophical level is very prevalent the tragedy of it is the way it impacts families and then the response and then how do we heal how do we function in the future uh how how because i mean it's a lot of trauma yeah i mean I, i remember here we go uh the, the the trauma involved do we ever resolve from that trauma right now the the 
the kids from uh from the last mass shooting uh what 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 city was that out in florida out in florida was that florida yeah. sandy hook or mm-hmm. what, what was that okay no, no, sandy, no. sandy, hook, was sandy hook was earlier sandy hook was connecticut what, yeah. what, what was this uh last shooting the kids from i almost had the name of it but yeah they, they actually they have actually have actually just created a super pack yeah the families from that from those students created a super pack to kind of stonewall the governor or mm-hmm. even oust the governor in florida yeah, and, and and it's like you oust the governor in Florida, but you're relying on some somebody that went to a trade show, a state away, bought an automatic rifle or went to Walmart. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like basically, if you have five hundred dollars in America, you can buy a rifle that right. can murder masses of people. In mm-hmm. fact, mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. that you can get a rifle sooner than you can get a car, a home. Uh, car insurance <laughs> it was marriage Parkland, license Florida. Uh, you know what I'm saying <clears throat> yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying uh, 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 you know what I mean so passport passport <laughs> yes it's cheaper yes you can do all of this in America you can have the access to murder masses of people mm. like so it's it, it's a discussion that's so deep now because yeah. like to even think that there are more guns than americans and my bad i'm messing up your flow Brittany. but no i was I agreeing that was me throwing my hands up like i agree we we don't look at this in the right context of i mean american culture itself was built on violence yeah it began you know what i'm it. saying yeah. it, it began with, with loads of began with violence. Right. <laughs> yeah it began with violence you it's know, a yeah. hypocritical system that it it puts poison in all of our bodies. We're all mentally disturbed. Yeah. It, it it it's it, we got we we all need therapy. We got to get more therapy. Cause think about it. Like I mean, was really like I'm all the way here in Detroit. I don't know this kid, his family, anything like that. We have a human connection. Um, you know, uh, other than that, I don't have any like personal connection to the family of the kid. However. Just me thinking myself about what happened to this kid that somebody took a machete, cut his throat, mm-hmm. like literally like made me cry. Me looking at the pictures of this kid, how happy he was, his family right. and all that literally made me cry. I cannot imagine his mother, his father having to think about, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they have their their kid that they're raising <coughs> like a kid. Mm-hmm. And someone slit his throat. And this is all recent. So now the sister, all of them, they've got to now live, you know, without their loved one and the trauma from that. You know what I'm saying? Like they're pushing through the communities, pushing through. They're resilient. We're resilient. We get through. But I'm just thinking about, you know what I'm saying? Like, I really hope that they are able to get the support that they need for their mental and emotional health. You know what I'm saying? Well, see, Bobby, you bring up you bring up something major. I'm going to tie I'm going to tie it into what you start off with. You start off with Detroit being the majority black. Yeah. Okay. And what you just said about how you felt about what goes on speaks to us as a as a people culturally. Our biggest issue is that we, as African Americans, as Africans across the diaspora, we are a naturally compassionate people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are sensitive. We're compassionate. And our downfall is that we try to project that onto other people who are not that. Mm. And we always take shorts and we always get caught up and fucked up because we want to, to we just said this country got created on violence. Yeah. 
and we want to we want to look at those people and see them as ourselves and they are mm-hmm. not that mm-hmm. they are not that compassionate they are not that sensitive to the feelings and the mores of other people mm-hmm. and that is where we come up short because we try to deal with a certain element from a particular perspective and it doesn't work yeah. so it's about us looking out and taking care of us yeah. and thinking and approaching things differently yeah. realizing what we're up against realizing what we're dealing with on a regular basis and handling it from that perspective mm-hmm. instead of trying to Pollyanna it and saying oh well this is that or this is this no we know what it is at this point mm-hmm. we've had hundreds of years to realize what this is yeah. and and handle it in the necessary fashion handle it in a in a, in a proper way that yeah. benefits us well that's why i like that kid on the one video if you guys check out there's a video like i said the uh borough president was out there um i think he was like in the middle of speaking or whatever and then this one young guy this young black guy just like you just come here you don't even live here and you know y'all talking about um y'all want to do something about the violence how come y'all don't have take that money that y'all are getting and um put programs into the parks and put programs into things so that young people and young men like myself can have things to do things to be involved in things to you know be invested in how come you're not invested in us you know before this takes place how come you only come over here and come around and say you want to do something about violence after you see you know some violence and i think that goes into what you're saying is like yeah we need to you know, utilize, to me, it's a multi-tiered, but we need to utilize the power that we have to make things happen, right? So there's the hold our politicians accountable. That's like one aspect. Another aspect is support the institutions that are investing in young people. The, a lot of the institutions that invest in young people are doing so at very, very limited, res- with very, very limited resources, there's, uh, I know in Detroit for sure, and probably across the country, um, anything that's invested in, in anyone that's like between 14 and 25 is either not resourced or under resourced. Mm-hmm. And most of the resources go to um, programs and things that are for like your, um, what do you call them, like early childhood or up to about five. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that. You know, but thing, the things that are like, you know, the so called age group, which is like the so called at risk. There's barely any funding or programs or resources. And like I said, it's not that those things don't exist, but they're heavily under-resourced. And so I think that's something like, you know, people are feeling hopeless and feel like they don't know what to do. I mean, you could definitely volunteer at many of your, you know, youth um, centers and things. You could become a mentor. I mean, if that's too much for you, you could, you know what I'm saying, like try to find (coughs) one person or one young person you know what i'm saying if you could get invested just in one young person uh if you do have money and resources you can channel those money and resources to those institutions if you work at a place that may be interested in investing in young people you know you need to you need to do that but i think definitely there are you know we we talk about a lot of these things but i also you know what i'm saying there are things that people can actually do you know what i'm saying to to reinvest in those age groups because you know these are the age groups i mean we're seeing we're it's no it's not a mistake that we see that this peak 
you know what I'm saying, if you will, if you're dealing with so-called crime statistics or police data, it's not a, it's not, you know, there's a peak there where there's a lack. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I believe um, that brings into, like, question the other, the other debate that's been existing in this weird matrix of... Uh, Let's go. Let's go. Uh, race matters. The good Cor- Dr. Cornel West hmm. American experiment. It's like, what role does government play? You know, is government supposed to facilitate programming for people or is government uh, just an institution that is supposed to uh, serve as, uh, you know, serve as like as little as possible in people's lives, and it, hence the the conservative debate. Right. I I have no idea because in the same, in the same uh, to the same virtue. I mean, you and I went to the same high school, Northwestern High School. And you were there a little bit before me, which I believe there are. You know, it's it's two types of resources for kids. You got good kid resources and you got bad kid resources. So, like, good kid resources is, like, stuff that goes to Renaissance. So, like, you know, U of M's engineering team will come and Bill Gates will come and do programs with Apple and stuff like that. So, like, Northwestern got a lot of bad school resources. So, like, Homeland Security contracts, gang squad. Right. Um juvenile delinquency uh you know even to this day like the these resources that are put into buckets through a lot of this programming the way that things are siphoned out as they would say uh uh liberal here here we go i'm 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 gonna go uh francis cross wilson on you okay (laughs) liberal racism (laughs) right it's still racism (laughs) and white supremacy it is through the through the buckets of uh putting black people in positions where we're more destitute to even be acquired to these systems. I mean, which leads me to... Like putting army w- recruitment which, at Cass Tech, which is supposed to be college which, prep. Which leads me to to, to follow elect, uh, the, the same thing Kier said. I mean, the to rely on anything from America or this system, we're already putting ourselves into a position of being pawns to be played. We need to fight for and strive for as much independence as possible mm-hmm. now if in 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 those that can allocate resources that can get back to us where they can be independently uh accessed 100 mm-hmm. percent to our own autonomy that's what we need to strive for but any of these right. systems to even consider that these systems will be designed for us to take advantage of and exploit the right way is looking it's at delusion. things backwards when people talk about schools and how they used to be as i sit, i'm the sitting president of the northwestern alumni association so i sit there with a lot of the the people that graduated in the 60s and stuff but the schools northwestern in the 60s was designed with right after white flight so mm, the, right. the people that re- graduated in 1965 got the same resources that were designed for white and Jewish students Mm -hmm. to receive or I mean if you want to call Jewish people white I mean white students to receive (laughs) Uh, Mumford Northwestern Central High School uh, Chatsy all of these schools Mm -hmm. so that when 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 the when you take away the white resource then the, the 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 fundamental assets that involve with this go away too if if University of Michigan has uh, a fifty percent black enrollment. Mm-hmm. University of Michigan will no longer look like University of Michigan looks. It'll That's look a whole lot more like WC three. It, it will not have the same amount of funding either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, 
So, I mean, we have to, you know, as long as University of Michigan primarily relies on its black people to put a ball in a hoop or run past a, 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 a end zone, mm. <laughs> then that will continue to keep the, the school functioning mm -hmm. the way it's supposed to function. We need to be very clear and precise about these uh, resources and anything speaking to these resources mm. that are not designed independently of the ethics, the cultures, and the value systems of African uh, of African value mm -hmm. and, 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 and attributes and principles. Right. The minute we start relying on those systems, we already going in backwards. You're right. I, I got a question for all three of you guys. Um, I'm a musical hypocrite. I'm not going to sit up here and, and pretend like the heavy 808s and the repetitive hooks of you out here murder trapping. music. I sometimes trap too. So I mean, I just, it does something because I understand the, the, the levels of music. From my perspective, I understand our government. I understand a lot of different things. When I intake <clears throat> gangster music or trap music, it does something for my spirit that. It, it doesn't it, it evokes hustle power self-confidence i want to get but, in uh, but, but it was, i, I want to get in on this but, first but it was the bed it was the bed and the foundation of what you came but through yo, came up through but yo yeah. trap music is what chitlins was to the plantation okay uh, okay mm -hmm. hear me. this is what we were given so the interpretation of cuisine was chitlins because we were given we mm. were given the pig intestines. Okay. The understanding of a lot of people making trap music due to their understandings of what's happening in, in and around them, whether they grew up in that environment yes. or whether they're glamorizing that environment due to their understanding. Understood. My challenge with trap music is my same challenge with chitlins. It should come with a long disclaimer like, yo, dude, when you eat some chitlins. Hilarious. This is what it's going to do to you. So that's when my you chitlin disclaimer. To <laughs> when you listen to trap this is the con this is the intent of it. Because right. really, this is this is a long term consequence. Yeah. Yes. So this is my of constant ingestation ingestion okay. of this. Yes. That's my but question too. When you're only giving chitlins, and that's how a lot of the people that give it are, then I mean that's 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 what they make it. My question right. to you guys is: I watch Cameron on. Oh, let me let me give Kill an it. example. Mm -hmm. Cameron on Bill O'Reilly, early two mid two thousands. And I watched Fox News, I'm digressing, because I like hearing a different perspective. I don't agree with the shit, okay. but I listen to it because you got to know how people think. Yeah, when I saw Cam, Cam and I never, been a, I never been a Cam fan, but when I saw him on there, and I, again, I guess it is the fi it's the, where he was at. It wasn't like he was in a room full of brothers holding him accountable, but talking about how he's not a role model. He owes nothing to the social responsibility he has no social responsibility of people who listen to his music and intake the gangsta vibe. It's not his responsibility. It's the parents' responsibility to cover their kids' ears. So my question is, is with you guys being so into hip-hop, we, do we continue to fail ourselves and our community by allowing that shit to exist? Let me, let me, which, let me, wait, wait. Oh. Just define when you say which shit are you talking about? Trap music, gangster music. Let uh, me, wearing wearing uh, what do you call those things? What oh. did Fifty Cent used to wear? Uh, oh, bulletproof vest. Bulletproof vest. <laughs> okay, uh, look, look. Here's a here's Fifty thing. needs to keep wearing a bulletproof vest. <laughs> 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 and that's a that's a real life question. First right, and first right, and right. foremost, first and foremost, 
I don't know <laughs> any other culture, unfortunately, other than black culture, that gets defined by its art. You know, our politics are not our art and shouldn't be. No one looks at the Italian people, okay. Jewish, Asian. I'm not cutting you off, but the Vatican, Michelangelo, them drawing that shit on the on the walls. No, 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 no. When no. There, there's a difference. There's a difference. Right. <laughs> there's a difference between your art being the definition of your political viewpoint and your cultural viewpoint, and art being art. And art speaks to things, no question. Art speaks to the culture. Art speaks to current events. It keeps the culture. But, it but keep- no one says you're you're like they say you're hip hop, whatever. Mm-hmm. No one says you're rock and roll, you're country, and you're defined by that when it comes to other cultures. We allow that to happen. You know, no. You know what? Okay, fine. If Ken Ron doesn't want to be a role model, that's fine because I don't want him as my role model. I get to pick my role models. True. And I'm going to pick someone who's intelligent in a particular arena. I'll segue to, to, to Kanye. Kanye is not, just because he may be a genius in one thing, so mm-hmm. to speak, doesn't make him a genius. I agree with that. But we allow that to happen. And nobody else allows that to happen. Nobody says, hey, guess what? Uh, Mick Jagger is a is a musical genius. He's a musical talent. And I'm following Mick Jagger over a cliff or behind politics. Hell no. Nobody, they don't do that. But I think we talked about it last week. What I'm about doing that with Ted Nugent, we but. we talked about it last <laughs> week uh, in those cultures, right? Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney. It was hip hop and alternative. From my perspective, was Elvis. You know, those were figureheads, and there you had the Fonzies. You had the people trying to be like them. But in our in those situations, there were two family homes most of the time, right? In our situations, hip hop is the father for a lot of people. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All I mean, right. I'm trying to I'm trying That's to address fair. your you ask your question. I'm going to try to address your question. All right. We first fall falter and fuck up by letting ourselves as intelligent individuals and human beings mm-hmm. be defined by a musical idiom. Agreed. I agree that is, with that. That's insane. And, you know, that's that's to our detriment far too often. I love hip hop, but hip hop is not me. It's not who I am. Hip hop comes out of the culture. It is not the culture. Agreed. You know, all this, you know, the the nation of hip hop. Nations have leaders. Nations have philosophies. Nations have, nations have ideologies. Nations even may even have rules. You don't see those things. There is no nation, per se. It's a wonderful medium. It does many great things. It has. It has, reached, it has taken our culture and our, our messages across the world, but we should not be defined by it when it comes to moving the needle as a people. But I do want to say there would be no Barack Obama if there wasn't hip-hop. Yeah, there would be because there'd still be black people. But it was <laughs> black people. We've been here before everybody. You know what I'm saying? And I, I just feel like I feel like um, for our people in particular, and I'm speaking about black American culture, right? The blues, the jazz, um, the hip hop, although the rock, even those were things that like that actually was what defined us in the world. I mean, in the land of um, I want to say respectability or what got us indoors or what, you know, it was the rock stars and. The, those those stars like your Sammy Davis Jr. You know what I'm saying had way more respect, um, and 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 having those figures being present and those black bodies being present in those spaces is what, and and having young white people see 
those role so see those as role models like growing up like seeing black bodies in black spaces allowed for them to have that as a normality and to understand like oh a black person can lead a pl- black person can be in the front which i mean over time you know got us to the p- to the point where it's like a normality now for the white kids like all the white kids that have grown up since the 50s to now all their music and their so-called heroes are all black you know what I'm saying? If you talk to all these guys in the boardroom back in the 80s, they were loving the the black rock guys. You know, if you talk to all the, I think they were, you know what I'm saying? PE, but well, they they loved them, the, but guess what? The, they don't they didn't the, make the, they don't make they didn't then and don't make the decisions now. So you're saying it happened? All the but all the look, let me tell you something. All the cats that I I came up with, you know, Public Enemy, we loved it. We love X Clan, blah blah blah. They're writing checks now, and they're not writing checks and running these companies based upon those things they loved it they pay a little homage to it, a little deference but they're like hey i'm a white guy now in a white but run society and i'm making decisions based it, on those elements it's 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 i mean Kier Kier touched on a great point but i mean for for so long black people have been the like the gestures in in american society of, of flavor of taste uh we we've consistently set the standard of what cool is mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i mean Sometimes just a, a white person walking in the room with a black person means like, oh shit, right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, and God forbid that person isn't like a, a, a square ass black person. So, right. I, I, but I definitely don't think that it is still to the cultural substantive where we're seeing anything beyond as a like a, a like a spectacle. You know what I'm saying? Like. You know, it, what you mean. It, it's it's sort of like, you know, when I would go to the strip club, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I never went in the strip club saying like, you know, I know your name's Diamond, but like, I mean, who really are you? And, and you know, what's what's your value set? And, you know, how, how much time do you really put into this pole dancing? Like it's still seen as objectification. Yeah. On so many layers, just like that scene in Do the Right Thing when uh, Mookie went into it with uh, the guy's character, where he like, man, you like Prince, you like Michael Jordan, and he's like, you know, but they ain't niggas, you know what I'm saying? So mm. like, right. it's like a they're, they're other. It's like right. a layer of 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 like spectacle within the entertainment realm, but to being taken serious on the like uh, on like the the the, the business, or... and not even just just humanity. Just right. the humanity right. realm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the classic example of that was, you know, when when so much was happening with Trayvon Martin, right? With, uh, with uh, Philando Castile, like right. with all of this, you know, through through all of these people that that follow all of these rappers and all of this shit, nobody said to themselves, you know what? Because I listen to Future, you know what I mean? I really did see him as a right a, as a human exactly. being. You're and right, then, and sometimes. The the especially when we talk about like that trap music and, mm-hmm. and and the things that it echoes, you know what I'm saying? If the imagery of the black man that you're getting is future and Migos, then mm. chances are you may be more like, yeah, I understand why cops would kill a motherfucker mm. walking up on you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what's his name? Uh, um, Brown and um. In, in, in St. Louis, like, yeah, so, right. like, right. I still don't think that it, it pushes the humanity. Mike Brown. It, Mike Brown. Right. Because, and the only way I can really speak to this truly is the fact that, like, um, it's always puzzled me. And, and I have to check myself. And I'm still learning as a man to, to temper my misogyny, you know, 
love my mom. Mm-hmm. Women have been so instrumental in my life. Mm-hmm. But even in me, I have to temper it because it's like a, a different set of values that come in where it's like you still see the box of woman first. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? No. But I, well, well, I mean, you're not a man. You're not a man, <laughs> right, right, but right, right. you know I, I what I'm saying. saying, Piper, just on the strength of you've seen it. You, you've dealt with it. So men have men always are materially connected to women, but it doesn't change the fact that they can still be some sexist, misogynist um assholes assholes or pieces of shit excuse my french or whatever but it they're they're still there no i got daughter sister and you're like how can you be this way when you have so many women in your life how can you be this way russell simmons how can you be this way harvey weinstein how can you be this way uh i don't know what what bill clinton charlie donald trump uh uh who you say Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose. You know what I'm saying? I'm using these people as examples because right. they're celebrities. But I mean, right. even uh, guy that owns the, you know, guy that owns the right. liquor store. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it, 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 I mean, I would even say, go as far as to say, you know, and I'm going on a limb here because they were gang members, and gang culture is generally in train running culture. Yeah. From how I've known it, right. so it's like you're willing to murder a guy mm-hmm. that ran a train on your sister. Mm-hmm. But you probably don't even have the self-actualization to be like, damn, I'll do run trains too. That's, but that's this is men. Let, let me let me me two things. One, thing number one, out of the, out of out of all the things you mentioned, jazz, rock, whatever, these mm-hmm. different genres. First of all, they're all entertainment, acting, everything. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're being defined as a people via right. entertainment, Agreed. and all of these, none of which we own, unfortunately. Exactly. Right. You know, we're not, we don't hold the locus of control of any of those things. Right. We don't have, we don't have the financial handle on any of these things that we've created exactly. that have gone globally. Exactly. Now, addressing you back at the trap music, it is, it is an, it is an, an idiom, it is a sound, it is a style that has, that you have come up with. Mm-hmm. That happened to be there when you got into it, and I think, like much like ourselves with either gangster rap or whatever, you know, we put too much store in this thing, this art form, being our our talisman, our weapon of choice. Mm-hmm. There's there's no substance to it mm. when it comes to real politics, real business, real financial influence in the world, and that's where we come up short. So you know, the, we're so riding. We're riding on art to do real things in the real world. Yeah, and that's not. And if you notice, that's art is the first thing to go when commerce gets bad. Yeah, they're like fuck art. Right. It's out of here. That's yeah. true. Yeah, fuck funding for art. It's yeah. out of here. Right. But we're living on art. So guess what? It's like fuck you too, because you're done. Yeah. Because you're holding on to the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're out there. You need a raft, and you're holding on to the damn anchor. Yeah. But so, I guess just to answer your question, uh, for me, I feel like, uh, because uh, for me, I feel like, yeah, people that are in the front are role models, whether they want to be or whether they don't want to be, because they're in front. So people are going to see those people wherever they are, whether it's a leader of a company, a leader of your household, a leader of you know in anything, you're you're seen in the front, so you're a role model. Um, and I feel like, unfortunately. Um, because of the breakdown of our families or the intentional destruction of our families, like you said, a lot of these things have become p- 
people's family and and parents and who's raising them so the tv is raised well now it's the internet and your phone is raising your kids people you see people uh hand their child their baby the the ipad the cartoons have right. all types of uh hyper sexualization in the cartoons all types of dis- dis- dysfunctional and destructive uh material uh you know that's completely insensitive racist uh, I've seen a lot of homophobic stuff. I've seen. I mean, I've seen all types of craziness in cartoons. With yes, in t- in today, I thought my cartoons was real violent. No, in today's kid, cartoons, right, yeah, right. today's things they but say. In today's cartoons, I, I remember specifically when I was sitting with my nephew like last year. I saw Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny, and Elmer Fudd all get in a car and go to the store and get lunch, and I was like, damn. This is so different than when I used to watch <laughs> Looney Tunes. It was almost like it was PC. Call. It was like they were friends. They said, hey, how can I be your friend, Daffy? Well, now, I mean, good. this may have been the cartoon I was watching. I but. think it was the one you were watching because, mm-hmm. like, it's a whole you. bunch of cartoons that are really scary that, you know, and, and, and not just the cartoons. It's the uh, those other kind of kids shows, the stuff that's on Disney, the stuff that's on Nickelodeon, the stuff that's on all those, like, the cartoon channel. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of content. And the music now, like, if, like the music, the trap music has such a nursery rhyme, elementary school beat, mm-hmm. but they're talking about running trains on people. They're talking about killing people. They're talking about... Um, you know, uh, doing drugs. They're massive talking about drugs. massive amounts of drugs, <laughs> yeah. and they have like a nursery massive rhyme amounts. sort of thing. Like <laughs> I did it. I, I was at this event yesterday, and um, the it was a so-called children's event, and every single song was a so-called modern song that was for so-called kids, and every single song was talking about giving people fellatio. Was and I'm talking about kids from the age of like birth to probably like you know 15 and they were dancing on the dance floor they knew all the words they were doing all the yeah. dances and they were singing about do- giving fellatio and they were singing like about said, killing and they were singing about doing drugs and yeah, it sound I mean, like a nursery rhyme like you said it's, it's their simple songs unfortunately by simple people if you look at one of the things i miss out of rap music is the cleverness right Cats mm-hmm. previously used That's to be like very very, very clever and clever right. But you can't get that by being less informed. I'm not going right. to call anybody an idiot, but you're, but you're less informed. You're not well read. So your your scope is like this. It's very limited. Very it's tiny. a box. Yeah. And so, of course, you're going to go for repet- repetition and sing songy because that's what you do when your thing's at a certain level. And a lot of these trap really songs lo- barely have lyrics. Well, a lot of the trap songs, like if the song is two minutes and 30 seconds or three minutes, I'm going to say about, let's say if in a three-minute song, two minutes and 45 seconds, it's, it's just word. them repeating fast, the same fast, thing fast, over and over and over fast, and over and over again. I will, I will tell you, it is... Follow me. It is in... Smoke that, smoke that, smoke that. Smoke that, smoke that, Okay, so... <laughs> I like all three of y'all... You're making hits right now. All three of y'all responses. You're making hits. Skirt, skirt. Cure vogue. Wait, and then now... A lot of it is not even lyrics per se. Even even the hooks are not lyrics, right? The hooks right. are just sounds and yeah. grunts and just interesting yeah, ad-libs, I mean, ad-libs for three minutes. So, <laughs> shots back. Well, speak Shazbot. speak as a person Shazbot. that that's not antiquated in this, Brittany. Please. Well, the I mean, <laughs> so the so the, so the the lyric that's man, it's sold. 
that's a whole nother podcast. But I'll say that the West African in us all, maybe, I mean, we like that beat. We like that bass. We like that drum. That doesn't bother me. That, that you know, as a millennial who's right in the, in the middle of the our founding fathers of hip hop and where we are now, that doesn't bother me as much as from now until where the founding fathers were, we still have a lot of black on black crime. We still have a lot of crime in our culture. That bothers me. And that's why I asked the question to people who have seen hip hop evolve. Is it part, you know, we, we fight it. When what are other we people, we, we fight the fact that hip hop has a correlation with our numbness to crime. Mm. You know, when especially when someone else says it, you know, to us. Mm-hmm. Well, you listen to what's in your music. How do you not think your crime rate's going to be? We fight it, you know. So that's why the question is asked. And I'll say I like both of the approaches of all three of you guys because you made me think on a level that's a little bit different in a different, a, a different way that it may have something to do with it. But first, let's stop putting so much power into it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it both needs to be addressed. I mean, that would so be great. It needs to be addressed. Let me say this on the white side, though. But there is well, no such thing got, as black on black crime. But look, you've got... You've well, got, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. You've got... Crime kids, in our got, community. Sorry. Right. You've got white <laughs> kids out there making murder, death, kill songs all day long. From the from the punk era to now, right? You've got, you know, you've suicide. got speed rock, suicide rock, all kind of stuff. But no one's pointing at that and saying and and wiping the entire culture with the same brush. Like this is why right. you kill. This is. I mean, let's face it. Well, they did well, in the seventies. Uh, remember they tried to. Remember they tried I'm to get rid I'm of rock in the seventies. I want to be clear. I am not suggesting that the music that again that I. Oh sing, no, I'm not saying that you yeah. are. But I, I'm saying this is the mm-hmm. argument that he has made that okay. you that you pointed out. They say, "Hey, you people are doing this because look, look, look at what you're listening to." But guess what? Your kids are listening to it as much, if not more, than our kids listen to. It. Way I, more. I, I would, That's why I they get paid. They get paid would, off your kids. Our kids don't pay for it. I would argue, yeah, that too. But but. One of the one of the things great mm-hmm. in the evolution of hip hop when a lot of the record labels really didn't see and when I say record labels, a lot of the record distributors, mass distribution of it, really didn't see the value in hip hop was yeah. it allowed for the variations of the black experience. Mm-hmm. So right. I mean in eighty eight, as as much as, you know, it takes a nation of millions to drop, I I wanna say nasty as I wanna be was out too. So yeah. like you had and even the variations of the pro-black experience. You had mm-hmm. Brand Nubian, which was a different pro-black than Public Enemy, which was a different pro-black than De La Soul, which was a different pro-black than Moni Love and X-Clan. Like, mm-hmm. you had variations of the black experience, so you had an exposure for many voices. One mm-hmm. of my critiques is the mass uh, distribution right. of a lot of the music is generally it's all cookie cutting one sp- particular type of sound. Yeah. I think if, if if that one particular type of sound were um, revolutionary rap, it would I, I would appreciate it more. But I still wouldn't like that either because that's not the true black right. experience. It's still right. one dimensional um, crime. Yeah is existent not just in the black community but many americans communities because like i say the ethics of crime forefounded this nation and in right. our community i would definitely say that you know crime pre-existed hip-hop and this is yeah. even something that we we oh, sometimes much, debate very much uh, piper when you talk about the crack epidemic mm-hmm. i mean my family in cincinnati 
and even like some over here like the the thing i think that kept checks and balances a little bit on that was the the prevalence of the numbers man but hair the heroin epidemic of the 50s and the 40s throughout the black community and even sort of into the 30s was a, as detrimental but the 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 street elements involved kind of had a different i mean because mm. you had the number man with as many street ties if not more mm-hmm. than a lot of the heroin dealers so it was kind of like a check and balance the heroin epidemic today how about that well i know mm. but i'm just saying <laughs> right i mean people often make it seem like you know, nothing ever hit the black community like this, whereas heroin hit the black community Agreed. before. Did hit did hit crack hard. did, and it was very strong. Yeah. It was different checks and balances, even in the streets, because a lot of the numbers cartels. But I think I think the, also the difference was that you had a, like we said, stronger communities at the time, right? And B, the yeah. economics of the crack epidemic was just so devastating because it came yeah. around a time where economic situation was just bad in general. And then to make it so accessible at such a cheap price, yeah. it was completely devastating. Well, I, mm-hmm. I, I think that the community was different because this is pre-Jim uh, Crow. So, like, a lot of our communities were more closely knit. I mean, there, no are, doubt about many, there are many variables that affected the, the impact that crack had on the 80s mm. more so than crack. So, I'm not necessarily saying it wasn't very detrimental. No, no, I'm I get The you. detriments oh. of it. The, the, the impact of it, I should say, mm-hmm. right. um, it was exasperated just due to some of the conditions of the things that were going on throughout our community mm-hmm. as, um, you know, when heroin hit a lot of, I mean, a, as most people know, like Harlem is called Sugar Hill, not because of cocaine. <laughs> right. You know, right. that right. whole name of Sugar Hill and, and a lot of those jazz musicians, that exactly. the, the way heroin went through that wave of Harlem. You know, it, it, yeah. it's 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 impacts when and went when through we that wave of jazz musicians. You had so many guys that died at thirty in their thirties mm. and their early forties, right? Yeah, and blues. This is, you know, so and, and I mean, it, and when you want to say it was the trap of its day, people knew yeah. that going to see Billie Holiday, part of the 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 allure of going to the Cotton Club, <laughs> going down there to Harlem was you was gonna get high too, right? You know, and I mean, this is this is just just. You know, it's. Not, I mean, when when Frank Sinatra talks about that, even in some of his songs, like he has many a songs where he's talking about going down to Har- Harlem. Yep, I mean, he's not saying it like explicitly, like you know, I went to go score some opium. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? <laughs> <laughs> he's, but he's making, he's alluding to it. I'm with you. I'm you know what you. I'm saying? Cab right. Calloway's, most of Cab Calloway's music was about getting high. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, it has been get get Heidi 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 Ho. Yes. So I mean, <laughs> most I mean, this has been prevalent in in certain things in entertainment. The 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 argument here makes is very true. It like is. the artistry itself and 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 having other value systems and what we put into our community and always being very prevalent and understanding that just because a person we see on the TV is black does not necessarily mean that they're representative of the culture and the value Definitely systems not. that are from our people is true. You know, it's some white people that may be more of the culture and the value systems of our community than a person with a black face. You know, yeah, for that sure. right there. But I will How do we say, change that mindset, though? But the thing is, though, I think it's not about... So I'm going to say two quick things. One, I want to say the that even though people are... Even though people say that, that they're not role models, yes, they are. But um, I'll say from a personal example, having traveled the world, um, 
and uh, th- this, you know, uh, notion of black bodies and black women's bodies. Um, th- you know, the world believes that black women's bodies are just available to them without their permission. You know what I'm saying? I'll say right. that. And I'll say having traveled the world and being a black American, I've been told many, many, many times um, working in the industry and people would say, oh, you know, where are you from? And I say Detroit. And people always think I'm from wherever, Ethiopia or whatever. And the first thing they'll say to me is, you should never tell people that. And they say, you should never tell people that because they'll think you're from Africa. They'll think, because what does that mean? That I'm more valuable because I look quote unquote exotic because I have this kind of look that is, that, that, and, and basically what the, what the meaning behind that is, is that you don't look like you're a descendant of an enslaved um, African. It, you, you, you look like you have some sort of royalty. You, you look like you have some sort of value. So don't tell people that you're a piece of shit, basically. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Be, so, so that people will respect you. So I'm going to say that. And then with that, what will usually come with the conversation is always a conversation about women in hip hop. And usually, you know, a lot of people in places where I would go were not really exposed to black Americans outside of seeing us in a music video or outside of seeing us on a TV. And so their uh, their expectation is that, you know, uh, that that I represent that person now on a human level. Yes, I'm a part of the human family. Yes. I'm a black woman. All of us are, you know, uh, uh, related in some way. All of us are connected in some way. Um, But like you're saying, Kari, we are complex. So, no, I'm not in the streets. I'm not, you know, selling pussy. Like, no disrespect to anyone that is. You know, (laughs) I'm just saying. Got to have a girl somewhere. (laughs) You know, but but, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not I'm not um, the person and and I don't want to make it sound like respectability politics, but what I'm saying is that I'm not that person uh, uh, that they were expecting from that music video. Whereas the person that they see in the music video is a willing participant in a lot of activities, most of them sexual activities that involve multiple male partners. Because when you see black women in these music videos, they are happily entertaining either you know scenarios where it's many of them s- with one guy all or, of one guy or who, or, doesn't, who doesn't deserve it or many guys <laughs> you know or many guys that she's you know participating in mm-hmm. servicing happily with a smile and so when i would travel to different places this is you know what i would be met with like hey oh you're black american like now we can i can get the ill nana you See know that, what I'm saying? That, that, so and, and that it's chick, like that chick serving stuff with a smile. It's like I'm a lighting designer. That like no, you can't get ill, Nana. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 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 so you can get the ill 300 watt bulb. Right? But no, it's it's crazy because how do we kill the? Oh, that's Beyonce. Ooh, Jay Z. You're not going to kill that. Like now, celebrity, the idea or the phenomenon of celebrity. Like check it out. Now the whole what did Lauren Hill say? The whole world is a ghetto. So, mm. so our even before hip hop, before hip hop, we're like like you know yeah, war, blues, war, war said jazz, it first, that the all that. We 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 impacted. You know what I'm saying? We saying. we we've impacted the world. 
And especially now, you got white kids, Asian kids, everybody call themselves nigga. Everybody calls their self nigga. Everybody, white chicks call their self a bitch. White, you know, everyone is, is, is but, ingrained but in the so-called hip-hop. But to quote my know? man Paul Mooney, everybody want to be a nigga, but nobody want to be a nigga. Be a nigga. Yeah, <laughs> it's real. And it's true. But, man, that all, damn, But I'm saying that to say that the whole world now... Like the the way that we look at culture and things too is not so boxed in like that. It's super complex. Mm. So mm. you know what I'm saying. Things like um, where when when we're thinking like, oh, this is black culture, like per se. You have to think of how many generations have been raised on our culture and our music to the point where I hate to say this, but it's their culture. Like that's who they are. That's well, it is. You know wait, what I'm saying? Wait, 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 wait. In a way. Let, Let's let's be particular about it, it kind of goes back to what Keir said, too, um, even with like when you said respectability politics. And I know um, even coming on the network soon, like, you know, the pro ho movement, uh, you know, uh, I guess you say the sex worker rights. It's a lot of different things where I mean, people are hiding behind veils, even when they're so, quote unquote, positive or things that i'm even in support of and not necessarily saying i'm in support of the pro ho movement but people are hiding behind veils and exploiting people mm -hmm. in their thoughts mm -hmm. and their yes. theories yeah. so like uh, uh, in general. Uh, some some platforms that people are given are given for specifically as 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 um sounding boards for like putting people in places and spaces like oh let's just get a person that says yo i'm i'm pro gangsterism you know what i'm saying i'm the pro gangster movement you know what i'm saying i'm for killing motherfuckers you Shoot, know what i'm saying that's and a lot of music given, <laughs> and then you're given a a a a a, a platform that that you're not even necessarily prepared and prepared mm -hmm. because this is going to like I, I support shame i support respectability there is a certain uh prestige that comes i mean when you when you get into the 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 dynamics of many of the you know uh many of the the inner workings and the manipulations that a lot of women that are in the prostitution or the sex sex trade industry are dealing with it's like yeah. the their mentality you know what i'm saying like i i i i, I can i can introduce you to to a hitman but the mentality of a hitman is is not one where I think that that person deserves a soundboard to speak on behalf of hitman rights and saying right, like, right. hey, you know what I'm saying? We need a hitman. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Hitmen need this, this, and this. Right. I deserve you know, to be able to bump you off. We need to be able off. to stay at some place better than the Red Roof Inn when we sh when we scoping people out out of town. It's like, hold on, bro. <laughs> right, right. You got some other mental shit going on that needs to be clarified and fleshed out before you speak up on platforms where you're trying to interact with a, a, a basis of humanity that's so outside of the culture and the understandings of how you make decisions. I got you. So, so I, I, I really do personally think that it, it, that the same way that some of these artists are given platforms be through some of these inst institutions and right. they're giving these artists platforms to speak and these systems are basically mm. speaking through these artists to say some shit exactly that they want to say but yep. they're too afraid to say mm -hmm. sort of like our sitting president yeah the stuff that our sitting president is saying a lot of other uh people on both sides of the aisle or whatever a lot of corporate owners a lot of uh a lot of people that run your favorite corporation and i mean i'm talking Every about all of them 
all believe the same shit he's yeah, saying. Ex- it's just precisely. that they're using him right. as a soundboard, so now they can sit in the back and be like, I right. can't believe he said that. Exactly. But in reality, they're like, I know he was going to say that. Exactly. Because I've seen it as myself, and the only way I can de- de- define this as I struggle and I learn more and more every day to be like, damn, that's some misogynist shit that I just thought. Because I've seen it myself mm. when I see the way that men treat women or speak to women because I see the way that they cut and the way they respond to women, the way they speak towards people when when it comes to how they uh, honor and how they have their discernment, how they have mm. their consideration. Like, it's layers to humanity, and the humanity is being stripped from a lot of people, and yes. people are using false platforms to mm-hmm. do some bullshit and throw shade in the game. So as far as I'm concerned, anybody that allows a platform that allows, like before we get to a, a prostitute to have a stage to say, this is how prostitutes get treated, you need to have like so many women that have been sexually assaulted, sexually harassed, molested, uh, dealt with the, the, the outcome of that by stalked. being children of those people, <laughs> stalked, uh, assaulted like you should have basically the conference if the conference was 30 days then the last 20 minutes should be a woman up there saying hey i'm a prostitute not like being a prostitute that's how that but if you're not allowing the stage and the platform for all these women that are really dealing with this trauma and it's real in my community and this is what's also causing the dissension as it's so many women that say black men never stand up for black women because they still dealing with the pain of what they may have dealt with from for a fucking family member and people are allowing platforms for people to get up and say, hey, be hoes. I have an issue with that. I feel you, but I'm just be honest with you. Uh, every all of that, you know what I'm saying, needs to be um, able to have a platform. And I'm just I'm going to say I believe that um, in order for us to actually have a, a better understanding about the complexity of our humanity, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like we do need to be able to have all these different stories and all these different, you know, narratives about ourselves. Cause we're not just these, you know, uh, one dimensional characters. We are these complex humans. You know what I'm saying? Like all of us have um, capabilities to be all these different things. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's difficult to say like, who's a quote unquote, like a, a good person mm-hmm. or a respectable person or this type of thing because all of us at at, at some point in time are we, we play all these different characters. Agreed. So I feel like I feel like they're having like uh like Netflix just did a big thing. Shouts <coughs> out, you know what I'm saying? Like I know it's a corporation, but Netflix is investing um monies into different um types of black platforms. They just did their marketing, they copied the um uh, the Art Kane photo, A Great Day in Harlem, for their marketing, and they showed like all the different shows that they have. And like I said, like Ava DuVernay, they gave her some money to like give Black women an opportunity to make, uh, you know, projects and things on there. You know, we're seeing a lot of different Black bodies, a lot of different Black voices, and um, you know, whether it's the well, trans the smart, community, smart business development, smart marketing, their part because it is they they realize how huge an audience we are. We're, we're big, big, big TV watchers. Exactly. And, you know, they know that's a wellspring of, of dollars. You know, exactly. I'm, I'm not going to say there is no philanthropy there, but. No, I don't mean know, to say, suggest hey, there's philanthropy. No, no, no. I, I got what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying. But in, in, a, in a smart narrative, I want to, I do want to address a question that Brittany kind of got there, but really didn't hear when she said, um, basically, how do we kind of curtail or turn the tide 
on this whole thing, trap music and all the effects of rap music on how we're behaving and responding as black people, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So basically, I'm an ag- I'm an agreement with. Okay, let me let me get this out clear. You don't have to be in agreement with anyone. No, no, no. <laughs> agree, agree. Okay, so I'm in agreement with. Um. I don't. I'm. I'm not against trap music, but I do, as a human being with some type of common sense, think that there may be some type of effect on our communities because we are so ingrained to the music and the arts. All, all people from the conversation, I would say all people are. I would say that our people specifically, when we talk about getting rid of reoccurring issues from generation to generation, mm. I think it's something to look at when it comes to how ingrained we are to the music. And I think that the music does affect us. And my question is, how do we shift the mindset on not to be so engaged into the figureheads, the music, well, so that this. it doesn't affect our, court, our it's, community? It's, and, it's, and it's not it's not the prescription, but I think right. these elements help. I think... Uh, first and foremost, knowledge. And it doesn't have to be formal education. We're not saying you got to go to college, whatever. But knowledge, read. As you brought up how you watch Fox, you want points and you want counterpoints. You don't want to just have one perspective. You want to have a full, well-rounded perspective of, of issues, of things that are pertinent to us living, not just being entertained. We are in an, entain- in an entertainment-centric society whereby places that are supposed to feed you news are feeding you entertainment news. Mm-hmm. You right. know, when your regular news that you rely on to give you the, the, the things of the day are giving you information from TMZ, that's ass backwards. TMZ yeah. should be getting news from them. Right. So it's a matter of that. It's a matter of conversations, conversations with, within your own culture about substantive issues, not about who's boning who, not about who's got the hot joint out. But when you go to when you go to white households, you can go to Jewish households who are white people also, they're at the dinner table talking about finance, how to increase their finance. They're talking about politics, viewpoints, social issues. We don't have those conversations. If we do, they're five minutes and then we're talking about who's balling or who's dating who or whatever. We need substantive, deep conversations amongst ourselves within our society, within our culture, within our communities, then we need to have substantive conversations with people outside of our community so we have a wider world perspective, a global viewpoint, because people in other places think about things differently and they deal with other things. So we now have ammunition to move forward, to move our people forward, to move our culture forward. Read about finances so we can, I mean, because let's face it, Everything moves. And we know we're good at talking about money. Yo, son, I got to get some money. I get paid. How many songs out there people talk about money, getting money? Of course. Nobody talks about keeping it. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about what they can do with it once they've got it. We we never keep it. We don't hold on to it. Yeah, they talk about spending it. For the, yeah, right. For, <laughs> mm-hmm. Think about it. That's the, think, just, about the, think about the, the trajectory. Like think about the trajectory of a drug, so of a drug dealer. I don't want to work at McDonald's because I ain't making no money. But I'm going to stand at the corner. And make the same money. Right. And an inordinate amount of hours per day only to come home with the same amount of dough, if not less. Right. I end up having nothing to show for it. I own no property. I own own nothing of any real value. 
that I can that I can parlay off of later on. I'm just done. So if if the economic knowledge is there, there's a different outcome that I'd also, you know, let's face it. There's been a lot of money made in this country off of legal activity. They just knew how to keep it mm-hmm. or how to transfer it or how to make something out of it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Right. Well, yeah. So with that, I want to segue into we did we didn't talk about who Kira is. So uh, and it's interesting we're having this whole conversation about entertainment and money because that's what Kira does. <laughs> 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 so let's um let's talk about you, Kira. Kira Worthy. Like, uh, give us your elevator pitch. Like, who are you? <laughs> I am a black man from Detroit who has been fortunate enough to work in the music business and the entertainment industry at large over the course of the last nine years. <laughs> uh, I got for how started. long? For real? You know, I mean, two decades at least. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, 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 and, 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 and maybe I, and longer. I do. Yeah, it has been longer actually. Um, yeah. I started my first uh, company in college, nineteen eighty five. That's three decades. <laughs> Respect, though. And Respect to that, that. You know what? I, I'm I'm happy to to be alive to even say that. Mm. Once we start, once we get, get like producers <coughs> on our show, I'm gonna do all those like <laughs> <laughs> when you say stuff. But yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta. You, I, I, right I, now, I'll do it my, about my mouth. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Did it, it, it warned you the sound effect? Okay. Yeah, air horn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the classic Jamaican. Yeah, <laughs> 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 you guys are <laughs> thirty years. <laughs> no, for real though, but for real, eighty-five. Because <clears throat> think about that. Like in real life, mm-hmm. who? I mean, besides Quincy Jones. Let me think. And Bob Johnson. Let me uh. see. Quincy Jones. Bob Johnson. Oh, Mr. Barton. So Quincy Jones, uh, Bob Johnson, Mr. Barton. Who else that we can think of? On a, oh, well, Donnie Simpson was investing. So who else yeah, yeah. on a level in terms of that people that we could you know know like yourself around that was around that time? Well, Teddy Riley. Well, you know, I, I used to trade rap know. lyrics with Moses, so. Yeah. Trade well, rap lyrics with Moses, <laughs> but Moses I mean, was freestyling, pardon the sea. But I mean, in the in the land of thinking about ownership, in the land of thinking about distrib, you know, owning your distribution, in the land of thinking about um, uh, the ways in which people um, engage with music and media mm-hmm. and this kind of thing, I think um, I want to I want to use the word historically. Mm-hmm. You're at. Um, pretty much on the front line of being in the forefront of of that thinking. I, I appreciate it. I I've always been. I mean, and I, and I, let me first let me say a large part of it. I owe to growing up in Detroit. You know, here's a place where I was able to see black people doing any and everything. Everything. There was nothing when I went out into the world. There was nothing that I thought someone black couldn't do. Exactly. I saw black entrepreneurs. I mm-hmm. saw black corporate individuals. I mm-hmm. saw black attorneys, mm-hmm. doctors. Judges, scientists. politicians, scientists, engineers, everything you know, artists. So you know, I'm like, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we can do it. Yeah, you know, and 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 I went to my mother. Shout out, Francis yeah. Worthy. Shout out, Mrs. Worthy. <laughs> who who always wait wait. Me. Tell us that story which, before which, you tell this story. story. Okay, because because you got to preface this by 
people understanding your mom she told a story at our event that we had for professional development about her working for you yes she did so you yes, just tell did. people who your mom is from that story real quick my mother uh francis worthy uh a Mississippi native, she's born in Mississippi, moved into Detroit when she was uh, about a teenager. But she is a, she is a very staunch Detroiter, very staunch pro-black activist woman. Yes, and um, you know she has worked a number of different fields. Um, you know, I'm very very proud of her career trajectory. But, I'm uh, proud. When of I her. when I got ready to move <laughs> to New York after I got hired by Electra Records, she came. She was in she was in Texas, but she came to Austin to run the company that I established in 85 that I mentioned, which was called Hot Wax Promotions and Marketing. After having attended the uh, Art Institute of Atlanta and and completed their music business program. So she, uh, you know, she did promotion, she did marketing, she did management of, of some groups and, you know, handled it with aplomb. You Please know, tell us some of the groups because people are like hold up yeah uh, uh, well, one, of the group, one of the groups Kari mentioned earlier she met Brand Nubian mm-hmm. uh, Pete Rock and Seal Smooth mm-hmm. uh, Leaders of the New School uh, Third hey. Base yep. uh, yeah she there's a, pl- there's a plethora of groups that she, she got down with and she right. uh, and she managed a group called The Garden and you know was an advisor to a number of other folks in Austin. And this is prior to the complete blow up of South by Southwest. Right. Uh, and if you want to, and, and, and for the record, I have to put this out there because um, Fader, the, the Fader, the magazine, mm-hmm. has done a coffee table book about the Fader Fort, which is their hip hop enclave during South by Southwest. Okay. Where they made the erroneous statement that hip hop didn't start until they did the Fader Fort. Of course they're going to say that. I don't know, 2003, 2005. Oh, come on. Wherein I started the first black, not not even just hip-hop, black content period at South by Southwest. That's how you know white folks are at Fader. Right, in like 1988. And if you want to, you can Google uh, my name, K-E-I-R, worthy, W-O-R-T-H-Y. There's an article article on on, uh, medium.com. Thanks to my man, Matt Sansala, which addresses the entire South by Southwest genesis of black content, black music. Okay. So, so shouts out. What's his name again? Matt Sanzala. So thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, mom. (laughs) And thanks to your mom. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So as I was saying about, about um, black entrepreneurship, especially on the entertainment side, there've been a number of individuals, unfortunately, no, some of them got absorbed. Some of them got pushed out. Uh, you have a you have someone like a, a Vincent Davis who had Ventertainment Records, which gave us Josie Love and more more notably Keith Sweat. Mm-hmm. Vincent actually still has Ventertainment. You had a uh, Bill Camaro who had Bebo Records who put out the first Buck Weed on Productions album. Mm. Um, you had of course Andre Harrell who had Uptown Records that yeah. unfortunately, unfortunately got absorbed by MCA. Mm-hmm. And that was like um, where Puffy. <clears throat> Yeah, um, exactly. Honed his skills with his styling, right, right, and and helped. Create. Andre's a person that hired Puffy yeah. and mm-hmm. gave him his shot, and allowed. And that's where we got like a Al Shore and Mary all that. Mary J. Blige, exactly, yeah. exactly. His first two, first Father two acts, MC, right. First two acts, and we mm-hmm. did promotion for those two acts. Was Heavy D and the Boys, and Al Shore. Those mm-hmm. were the first two acts. After that, you know, some finesse and quests and mm-hmm. a whole, whole round of people Sin after Quest. that. Uh, <laughs> Um, you had um, Al Bell, who people knew from Stax fame, who went on to have another label called Edge Records well, before, Stax he, did, before Records he did the tag team. Was a, Stax Records was another uh, what do you, uh, independent. Right, but Stax uh, was not black owned, though. 
It wasn't? No, Stax no. was not black owned. Oh, man. But Al Bell, being the, the powerhouse that he was, was like kind of the, the face of Stax Records. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. But Al, like I said, went on to have his own label Got called it. Edge Records. Okay. And then he had his label that he, he had success with the tag, with tag team with Whoop, There It Is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, there were a ton of black entrepreneurs that, like I said, you know, people just didn't get to grow and blossom. You had... Um, um, I mean, you, you were I working, mean, before I you is Barry Gordy, so. I think, <laughs> I think he, he doesn't get a lot of credit, but, um, and this is telling even with uh, Professor Griff coming, but Luke and Luke Records, right. as far as an independent label with yeah. what he did, yeah. uh, he was distributing. I mean, you yeah. were helping. Yeah, and for, yeah, for the record, I actually got Luke distribution in the Southwest. Like he, he was only like in Miami at the time, okay. mm-hmm. maybe a little bit on the East Coast, but I got him his distribution in the Southwest, which is significant because it was a huge market for Luke Records. Mm. Right. Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, you know, they, Texas alone went, yeah. went Luke crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the amount of people Because Texas and loves money, everything big. Right. The amount of people yeah. and the amount of money in Texas alone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was big gold chains big, and big, belt big buckles, everything. Big, big belt teeth. Buckles. He had big teeth. <laughs> 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 big big ten gallon hats, yeah, mm-hmm. all of that. All of that. Now continue. So, you know, there were there were just so many black entrepreneurs. Uh, too many that didn't get credit, you know, that didn't get the the just desserts. Yeah. Um, of trying to do what they do what they did, and just just there wasn't any support for them either, mm. right? They're like everybody was kind of like, it's like the wild wild west. So it's like everybody's kind of like out there on their own. There's there no was infrastructure some, oh, uh, to oh, support them. Let me not forget. Uh, Ty Fly Ty Williams had Cold Chillin' Records. Okay, yeah. You know, which was which is Cold major, Chillin' was huge major. in hip hop. Yeah, they were. They it were. was huge yeah, in hip hop. It was I, a major. That was Cold Chillin was like Bismarcky, Big Daddy mm. Kane, Roxanne I mean, Shantae. They ruled Marley the market Marl. for years. Yeah, I had I had my um Catherine Kelly right now. I got I had a um one of my favorite gifts. What? I wish Red? I could get it back. I bought a Shout out uh, to Red. I bought Catherine <laughs> uh yeah, I, I bought her a double disc of the Cold Chillin okay. greatest hits that okay. came out in 2004. She should and marry you for that. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's I was listening. To, that's all the biz marquee I needed. I right, yeah. right, right. I mean, they they had they Nobody had beats the biz. I mean, <laughs> but at that time too, I'm, and I'm just only talking about hip hop. You right, expand, right. Be, uh, you know. I just want to be clear. You expand beyond hip hop, right. but um, just in speaking of hip hop, what part of the power of hip hop at that time was like Kari was saying. Um, the variations people, of the of people the looked at it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. As like. Um, um, a toy. They looked at it like it wasn't anything to be taken seriously. They looked at no, it. No, people like thought it wasn't gonna last. They honestly. thought it wasn't gonna last. Yeah. You know, people were like, "Oh, you know, don't invest in that." It was like a like the blue chip, the, not the blue chip. The uh, what do you call it? The dot com. You know, so they figured like, "Oh, it's just gonna go away." But um, what was really valuable right. at that time? You know, I guess maybe I'm gonna assume possibly because people didn't take it so seriously mm-hmm. is that there were so many independent um, labels and entities that were able to create little niches. Mm. And so there were all these different niches across the country mm-hmm. that people were able to have, like, create their own little pocket of wealth. Well, to be honest with you, or power it's, or it's, it's a like lot that. like now in a different way. Okay. The, it was the independent labels 
those little labels that save the major labels. Right. And just like now, whatever lab- major labels exist are being saved by independent entities. Right. Whether it's an independent label or an independent production company, they're the ones that are really bringing the heat, bringing the, the, the selling articles, the content that these labels are utilizing. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same It's the same thing happening in a slightly different milieu. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's... it's it, it, it's a big, big, big correlation. Well, I, I do have this question, as it, it already looks like we going going for another round in the in the classic Piper Iron Man match <laughs> yeah. episode. But um, Piper's big on uh, where um, the 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 what's needed for Detroit artists, and and I've known you for years, Kier. You're you're in my circle, and and you're one of those staunch people to be like, do this and do that, and I'm so. I'm so staunchingly independent of like, if I can't pay for it, I don't even really want to move forward with it. But self reliant, self reliant, self reliant, very, which is not a bad very thing. much, very much uh, so to like the you know building the machine. But mm-hmm. uh, for the artist here, because mm-hmm. there's so many artists that are looking for like I know the person listening at this point is thinking like, damn, how do I get on? How do I get on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you need know. to meet Kier. Yes, exactly. I need to meet Kier. <laughs> Give him a demo. So uh, <laughs> that's definitely not how to get on. Please but listen but to my that's demo. that's what they think it. So yeah. what do you think here in Detroit? Um, the temperature of culture and music. Mm-hmm. What can happen? I talked. You know, me and Piper probably talk about this like four times a week, amongst mm-hmm. other things. That's my friend. We we laugh about all types of stuff, but. Um, what can happen? What needs to happen here? I think Detroit just needs to to mine itself. When I say mine, I mean the way you would go in the gold mine and mine for gold, the way you would go to an an oil field and extract the oil and refine it till it's it's sellable sellable petrol instead of just crude oil. Detroit has those base elements. So we need to yes. Beverly Hills Billy yes. up. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. We do. We need to. <laughs> we well, need no, to get your no. Jay Clampett on. For so real. give us, give us some some I'm, concrete I'm gonna, stuff. Yeah, I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. leading into that. Um, the first thing is to is to um, ascertain what you have, ascertain your assets, and recognize them, mm-hmm. because every city, unfortunately, Detroit is not immune. It's not the only one. Every city kind of hates on itself. Oh, in, a certain, in a certain, I didn't sense. know that. You know, I lived in New York so long. New York is loved so. No, no, but they still, <laughs> they still, you know, you still can't really just get off. You know, like, oh, yeah, man, you ain't that hot. And it's right, always that, right, you just, right, right. And you just don't get the requisite love at home that you should. Okay. So the first thing is to take stock in what you have here. Okay. Without having to go anyplace else. Right. A lot of resources are already here, especially the talent. Detroit is so lucky and unique mm-hmm. to have the. The talent rich, the, the, yeah, the, the the density of talent that it has, yeah, yeah. it's amazing, All and it has, and it's not just one period. It's been over decades, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, for as long as I can remember, it's just coming out, coming yeah. out, coming With, out, coming and, out, and 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 in various so in technology and business and uh, you know innovation right, right. and in music. And so arts. it's about mat- It's a matter of almost like crops. You create a bed for this stuff to grow. Okay. So it doesn't have to go somewhere else, right? Exactly. So it's a matter of people like yourselves, 
uh, Voltroning and combining with other people ah. that are here. Me yeah, and Piper and Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> that are here. The three right, amigo. Right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Shazam. Well, I guess what's you know, what's uh, what's one for well. amigo. Amiga. 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 Amigo. Amiga. But yes. we have to say yes. amigax. <laughs> right. What <laughs> about so, you? Respect. Show respect. <laughs> That's right, baby. We show respect around here. So baby, so so it's a matter of, of really. You know, and it's, it's kind of cliche, you know, working together, having some unity, you know. The cliche is what we need. Uh, yeah, you know, some 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 collective work is responsibility, if you know the, mm-hmm. the, the Nguzo Saba. <laughs> right, right. Some of the Nguzo Saba. Uh, we've gotta, you've got to have those things. Okay, guess what? If everybody can't work together, the people that can should. And like most things, people are followers. They'll follow suit. You know, most folks are sheep. There are very few leaders. And once the leaders start to leave, others will follow. And and actually, everyone's a leader, though. Everyone leads. Some people are lost leaders. Damn. <laughs> so that was a really the, quick. The reality. One. This is the reality. No, so like you. here, Farrakhan. So when people when people get together here in the city, yeah, and you know, utilize their resources, whatever whatever talent you have that you're best at. Someone's gonna be good at PR. Someone's going to be good at production. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to be good at marketing. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to be good at just just doing like the. Who's going to get money? Work. That's what we need to mine. We need to mine where the gold is. I now think that's the other thing. That's the other of, thing. I think they a lot it. of people. I think, like I always tell you, Piper, the money. It's a lot of money. People. The the tough thing about it sometimes becomes getting it from them. No, no, it's not even that. It's just. <laughs> it's just. I mean, it's the present. It's the oftentimes the presentation. Money is the access. Asset. It's the access. Yeah, yeah, and then also it's 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 being clear about like what's going to be done with it, and then also having the clear uh, known value for for what you're providing for the money. And I'm definitely not speaking as a person that has access to a lot of money, but it's a lot of projects and things I've seen. You have to just be very clear about. If you want funding for what you're doing, what material investment, um, you know, what what you're doing, how you're doing it, building the machine first and then the money and the funding can come because America's built on so many people saving money to invest in something. I so, will say but this, it, but though. it also goes back. Hold on, I'm yeah. But it also goes back to what I said earlier about knowledge. You've got to be able to speak the language of business and businesses mm-hmm. to get the money from them. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And that's and that's that's where we are oftentimes lacking. Right. I mean, even myself, yeah. I, I you know, I wish I could say I would like to sit here and say, Hey, you know what? I'm a multi billionaire and this and the third. But it, it is it is a process. It is it is some hurdle jumping. But I know Kari Kari alluded to how he feels he's got to pony up for everything he does. Yeah. And that is that is commendable. Yeah, but oftentimes unnecessary because the other folks, yeah. the other team, yeah, made their bones off of what we call OPM. Exactly, other, other people's, people's money, money. <laughs> all yeah. the time. That's yeah, because, but other people's that's... money, other people's time, yeah. other people's labor, Hello? other people's sweat equity. Exactly. OPP, other people's property. And right. my thought yes, process no with no OPP is, I sometimes don't necessarily want the invisible strings that are attached to me with that OPP. Mm. So like uh it needs to be clearly defined what I'm bringing to the table and what they bring to the but table. But guess what? That that's on a case by case basis. You might have a particular situation where you don't want that involvement. 
But do you have another situation that can utilize that involvement and you take the benefits and the profits from that and put them in the other thing that you don't want them to have a hand in? Mm. But I, guess- I don't know. But see, that's the that's the that's the thin line that I sometimes and this is the the the, the staunchingly. But see, I think that's the overthinking. The- I've been told that before. <laughs> but you yeah. know, this is where that this is, is the- where it's different people that come because along. But I'm gonna also say too, as a person who has built some institutions and built all the things and 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 put together, you know, things that have very concrete and tangible things, it's also the who, which was that conversation from before. So, um, you know, a, a lot of the projects, it's interesting when people always say to a person like me, oh, I know you're getting paid for all this stuff you do. People would never know that 90% of the things that I do, I don't actually make money from. You know what I'm saying? Even though I have sponsorship deck, even though we I have to, clear deliverables. We need to that. Even no, but I mean, I mean, I'm I'm saying that because you know that's an open. You know, I do I do a lot of community stuff that's for community. So right. a lot of you know, it's not necessarily business stuff like per se. But see what you have but to understand. Community thing. And what people you know have to understand that community doesn't mean no profit. Nonprofit doesn't mean doesn't mean nonprofit. nonprofit. <laughs> and right. we have to we have to recognize that we right. don't recognize that. Well, let me tell you, as a person who are some of the most profitable entities <laughs> are some of the most profitable entities around. And that's my point is a lot of people in Detroit. I'm going to just be honest. And people are going to be like, ah, I hate her. But a lot of people in Detroit get a lot of money to do a lot of bullshit and they pull it off as community or youth or whatever, because they can, uh, you know, go have a drink and a cigar with such and such. And right. go get this money, but their outcomes are are are, are definitely not around. Never um, beneficial see, to the core that they try. They, they don't they, they don't push the, the needle for. on anything. A lot, all of the. I'm not even gonna say a lot. All the events that that I do and and, and what we do um, push the needle, meaning that people are impacted from and transformed. Um, things like transformation, like real transformation, actually mm-hmm. happens. And so um, I'm looking at it, you know, if I were to also relate that into what I would say is business um, with a lot of the with 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 all of, I would say, the gentrification and these developers and these people um, get to come into our city and they get to get tax incentives to move here, free rent for like three years, um, $100,000 investment in their company um, for, you know, not pay taxes on properties, like get, you know, reassessments, like they get all these perks and benefits of being able to like, you know, create a business, build a business, buy a building, invest, blah, 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 blah. And the people that were here that have that have been weathering the storm and struggling that have viable businesses. No doubt about it. You know what I'm but saying? We deserve are, we are deserve to get them, out. We deserve to get in those same things. And once again, I say it's about information. It's yeah. about knowledge. It's about utilization of contacts. We need those things. And as far as the the nonprofit, no money. It's a beautiful thing, and we should be transformative. We should be impactful. But I can bet you a dollar to a dozen donuts that. If I was Kier, the multimillionaire, yeah, everything I had to say would be listened to with oh, much, sure. with much wait, greater result. Wait, 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 exactly. Wait. But I, I, I think that's by certain, that's by certain ears. I, I think that the substantive value of information, especially in today's day and age, kind of comes back to the the three sixty approach where. Um, just my relationships and it's so weird because like in some circles people say man you're so pro-black but like some of my closest friends are white 
hilarious. But guess what? That's not a surprise because they because they want that energy. If you think about it, if you think about the black people that get the most respect and oftentimes get the most money, yeah, it's, we, are, we, are the folks who are very staunchly black because at the very though they may say certain things about it, they respect people who are hard for their culture. Well, I think I think it's more so like I mean my own disposition. I mean I'm from years of entrepreneurship, so my disposition and the way I see things is different. But I also think that there is uh, an audience when you're speaking. Uh, when you're speaking of certain systems and how to put those systems together and you have a team that can make those systems exist and build and develop that, uh, the substantive value of that in today's information age is so much more valuable than even just hard cash itself because you you have the elements that can move things forward. So the, 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 the value of information in 2018 is so strong. What we're doing right now, some of the emails I get, like even some Piper sent me right now. And, and this is in the infancy ages as mm-hmm. as, you know, most of this content creation stuff with podcasts. And they say to videos or podcasts, you got to get up to 100 episodes before you see any uh, before you can really will what's happening with your audience and right. what you're doing. Now, right. we're putting those episodes in. We got the passion. We building our team. Brittany here with us. Uh, Piper here with us. I'm here with us. Like. It's, it's a step. It's a movement. Joe mm-hmm. Black, like this yeah, go, Joe. is is a is a it, it steps in. But this information and putting this together and what we're doing, I mean, it does take some hard cost. But the information and the element of what Piper's bringing to the table is the value of like, I mean, Piper's been doing what she's been doing and curating these relationships and already the people she's brought through these doors to sit down and, and, and come to the Detroit is different incubator space. I believe is worth a value that I can't even put a a dollar amount onto. Mm -hmm. And that's where I say information in today's age, if you're listening, is worth so much more than hard dollars. Hard dollars, if you have it, can exploit and and, and take advantage of those resources. Now, I don't have a call to action to give the people that walk through these doors. Piper doesn't have a call to action to give the people to walk through these doors. But if we understood the collective call to action and how to capitalize on that social capital, and then mm-hmm. we, we built this in the culmination that's already coming and swelling. I mean, from the backgrounds of, of African immigration to now the start of, uh, of Southwest distribution for, for hip hop records mm-hmm. has all happened within like, what, three, four weeks, Piper? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, this is, this, is, this is unheard of. All through sitting in a house upstairs where my grandma used to sleep. Right, you know what I mean, I'm saying. This always, right here, information is, is always power, important. It's, it's, it's always gold. Yeah. It is definitely currency. But what I'm saying is, in the society in which we live, especially here in America, mm-hmm. having hard currency or the perception of hard right. currency increases your voice, right. increases your reach. Right. Even to people, even to people that matter. I know you're saying it's only going to reach a certain audience. It's actually going to reach a wider audience. Period. Because mm-hmm. that's the mentality that we harbor. Yeah. And I get that. Maybe. Guess what? Bill Maybe. Bill Gates gets listened to more than young Jeezy because he's Bill Gates. Mm. And he's loaded. Whether Bill Gates got something. Whether <laughs> Bill, wait, I want to <laughs> listen to Jeezy. <laughs> but guess what? Whether whether Bill Gates has anything credible to say or right. accurate or, or something that's relevant to you, you're still listening to him. 
even if you're a Jeezy fan, you're like, okay, Jeezy, you're nah. dope. But Bill's got See, Bill's got way more stacks than you have. I I would not. I'm only listening to Bill Gates in reference to, but, and this may be my, my thought process. I'm you're only a, listening you're to like Bill a, Gates. You're a minority you in know reference you're an to things where he has proven to be someone with with value into that subject matter. And see, I'm not listening to but Bill Gates because he invests in prisons. Well, and he's using his technology. And he's using his technology to get into the schools to help support the uh, school to prison pipeline. So that's why I'm not listening to Bill Gates. If, okay, he, if he's but, telling but, me something about you, Microsoft, but you are you are the I'm more informed to. individual, as is Kari <laughs> and, and the anomaly. But your average, your average person, your average person, they're listening. They're listen, listening. average Why? Because, person. Because don't he's listen got to the Bill dough. Gates. He's investing in prisons. <laughs> and I would say, listen to him only in reference to what he's a subject matter expert on. If you want to know what he's doing, wait, 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 wait. That, 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 that well, wait a minute, Carl. That statement goes back to what I said about Kanye. <laughs> and is that happening? People still listen no, to Kanye for everything. Man, a podcast, man. Sitting up here next to a person that's a, that's a different podcast. So wait, wait. So but but I do yes. want to take it back. So what I will say, and um, I do really value this about you, in New York City, you um, created what I want to say is a network or mm-hmm. a pipeline for Black folk that are in um because it wasn't just artists it was no no it really wasn't it really wasn't artists at all predominantly it was primarily people from the business side it was called the managers alliance Mm -hmm. and it really was for people behind the scenes right whether you were a business manager or an artist manager an attorney an accountant Mm. you know if you wanted to be behind the scenes for real because you know it started in the era where everybody's trying to be up front Right. I'm, a, I'm a producer. I want to be out front. Yeah. I'm a manager. I want to be out front. Mm-hmm. I'm the promotions guy. I'm in the picture with my man. Like, yo, son, I got to, you know. Yeah. The Dame Dash. I yeah. Got you. Yeah. It was. It was. It was all of those things that were coming to the fore at that time, and people who were behind the scenes or should have been behind the scenes, leading the charge for that sort of stuff, weren't doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times it was because they didn't know how. Think yeah. about how, think about how many artists. Yeah, they didn't managed, have access right. to that information. Well, think about how many artist managers was their boy before they got a hit record. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, so so now okay, you my boy, you my manager, boom. Yeah. But you have zero managerial skills. Yeah. You know, you're tricking off dough. You're squandering money. You don't know how to navigate the politics at yeah. the label or the politics in the industry or the politics at radio. Right. And it's all political. Yeah. You know, I, I learned that the hard way because I came out of an independent situation. I had my own company. I didn't. I wasn't in New York. I dealt with people straight ahead. Like, mm. you know, here, you want you want this record on these stations, in these stores. That's what's going to happen. Boom. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to have marketing meetings with myself or yeah. my partner. Mm-hmm. We just went out and did it. Yeah. So when I got to New York, it was a political beast. That wait, I wait. I just got a about. quick question. Mm-hmm. The um, time frame from uh, you being independent mm-hmm. and running your own company mm-hmm. to you um, then moving into working with majors. Like, what what time? Like, how long did you do your independent thing before you started working with majors? Um, let's see, I did the independent thing for four, going into five years before we. When you say major, we the first our first dealing with majors was still as an independent. Yeah, as 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 a. Um, like a contractor. Promotion. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so we got our first 
major contracts with uh, actually with Warner Brother Records, thanks to my man Ernie Singleton. That's who, a really huge. Yeah, yeah, it was was definitely huge. Um, so that was our first foray. Then we ended up doing wait, some wait. Stuff how long um, uh, did you? How long was it? That was about four years before that happened. Before you got to, with before, Warner. Yeah, exactly. Before that. So happened. that was the. Is that from starting your company? Right. Is that from start? Okay. Right. Right. Um, from starting the company, doing a bunch of a ton of independence, uh, and actually many independents who end up connecting with majors. Hmm. We did, we did Cold Chilling Records, we did Def Jam Records. That was one of our biggest. This is clients. all marketing. Yeah, all promotions for the promotions. Guys. Okay. Uh, radio, retail, clubs, everything. We actually started the street team thing. I know everybody claims, but <laughs> Def Jam, Def Jam didn't have a street team when we started our own street team. What, for our what company. time so period? Y'all gotta this? break that down too for quote-unquote millennials and beyond um, what the street team is okay the company got started in 85 around 86 okay in 85 heading to 86 we started having what became the street team i went around and got kids at high schools that were would it, that would have been called influencers to this day right they were they were the cool kid or the chatty kid or the kid that knew everybody mm-hmm. they I knew all what them. the music was hot Right. Well, they, to most wear. of them love music, but a lot of yeah. times they were just they were just that kid that thought had something, you know. Yeah. They had they had the gift of gab or whatever. So I would get them, you know, paraphernalia, t shirts, stickers, whatever. At the time, a lot well, of when uh, we say paraphernalia, we're talking about not, music not, not industry. Drugs, <laughs> right. Yeah, right, right. Promotional <laughs> items. At the time yeah. at that time, record companies, there were a lot of them, and they all did promotional stuff. They did hats or stickers or t shirts. All kind I of think stuff. about the poster, the, the right. album posters when you yeah, say street posters, team. Yeah, posters, exactly. Yeah. They had all those things. Uh, you know, snipes with it, the stuff they put up on the walls, which are really just posters. Um, so, yeah, all those things were available. So, guess what that did? That made you the cool kid. Right, because you had access to the yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, we had we had kids primarily in Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio, right? Mm-hmm. And But we, what we utilized them even in a stronger way than most people did once the street team concept hit. We had these kids calling the radio station requesting songs, calling the record stores requesting songs. Hilarious. You know, and that's Smart. how it got started. And, you know, the one thing I always thought that when people kind of adopted the street team thing, they underutilized them. They just had kids running around the streets, patching up stickers, yeah. rah, 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 throwing out flyers. We made, we made effective use of these kids. I mean, mm-hmm. we, literally, mm-hmm. we literally got songs that weren't hitting in other areas, not only on the air, not just the mix show, but on the chart at that station because mm. of these kids calling and requesting it. Okay. We're like, look, we had uh, UTFO, so-called Cold, cold Want to Be With Me, got to like number one in Houston because we had these kids, these street team kids, calling up. We want to hear Cold Want to hear UTFO. We want to hear UTFO. They had their friends doing it because their friends like, if I get in with this cat, I'll get some of the stuff that he or she's getting. Mm-hmm. I'll get some T-shirts. I'll get some 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 stickers. I'll get. Wait, some hold on. You know who UTFO is, Brittany? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the yes. The guys who started you know the Roxanne Roxanne sensation. Um, yes. I can't. It's just this beat that's in my head, but Roxanne, I can't. Put, Roxanne. That I one, but there's another. There's another one too, where it's like, I don't know. They do a <laughs> lot of breaking on it. They have to. I I can't think of. Yeah, I have yeah. to look it up. So you know, it was them. We had uh, like Mantronics. We had them tops in Houston mm-hmm. and Dallas because you know, uh, because of these kids. Yeah. And you know, at the time, you had record stores. Yeah. So the stores were meaningful. Right. Because that's the end game. They could the go sell, in there. The end game was to sell the records, right? Yeah. 
So if kids are calling the stores, do you have such and such? Do you have such and such? Mm-hmm. Or once that record got on the radio, everybody yeah. wanted that record. Right. Like, hey, I just heard this on the top 888. You had this record. Right. So we made it We made it make sense. We had this stuff translate. Yeah. That's really, really smart. Mm-hmm. So to, to go back to your question, so, you know, we did that for years, and then finally we got a break from, like I said, Ernie Singleton and Warner Brothers. Let us Let us do... Like three songs on the label, we did like. Uh, what was his position? Eddie uh, Ernie was head of Black Music at Warner okay. Brothers at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he left MCA, went to Warner Brothers, and then actually ended up going back to MCA. Mm-hmm. Uh, a a legend in Black Music promotion, yeah. you know, for real, for yeah. real. Um, so that gave us a break. Then we ended up doing some stuff for Arista. We did some stuff for like Capital, uh, and all these things happened right before. Def Jam started their first national promotion staff, and I got hired to be on staff. What year is this? This was '89. Okay. '89. So that was like the height of Def Jam. Just about, just about. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, things were things were definitely kicking with them. You know, they had yeah. Slick Rick and LL and PE, mm-hmm. uh, Third Base, who I was very instrumental in in breaking. Uh, because that was like the first act I was really given once I got on staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Allison Williams, as we talked about downstairs, Orange Juice Jones, The Rain. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a bunch of joints happening. Def Jam was huge. Yeah, yeah, they really were. This, this was, they were still, they were like the kings. <laughs> they were they were still somewhat independent. They had they had gotten distribution yeah, before by, they, by before CBS they Records became the uh, what is it swallowed up. Yeah, 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 they got it was absorbed they, by Polygram. They got absorbed yeah, by Polygram. Yeah, but they yeah. were still, but they were independent. They were like a huge independent label. With major label distribution. They had right. a distribution situation with with CBS, which ended up becoming Sony, Sony right. Music. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that was that was a big thing. So, you know, we had I had my company, and uh, following that, I got hired by Elektra to move. To, that's how I moved to New York. I got hired by Elektra to be the first national rap promotions marketing person. Um, and this is this is also 89? This was 90, actually. And 90. This okay. was 90, yes. Mm-hmm. Spring of 90. I interviewed with uh, Doug Daniel, who was the head of Black Music at Electric at the time. Shout Wait, how old Doug. were you? Wow, she just really hit me, did She's like, how old were you? Well, I guess I, I, guess I want to <laughs> know more because um, to give people some understanding about I was a young buck. Yeah. I was still I was still pretty wet behind the ears, so to speak. Yeah. So but people understand. Yeah. I uh, actually I actually got started like I said, I did it my freshman year of high school, my freshman year of college. So it's when I started the company. Wow. You see so that? Pretty much that's, I mean that's with with impressive. no money. With no money. That's impressive. But how, did, how did that start? Like your <laughs> freshman year of college, you for sure have been drinking and chilling Well and here's what happened. Here's what happened. I've always really had a kind of entrepreneurial streak. Um, mm-hmm. when I was in, even when I was in Detroit, I had a skateboard team. Huh. Yes, I had a skateboard team called the Radical Riders, probably the first and maybe the only black, organized black skateboard team in Detroit. Wow. Now, this is when mugs were popping caps and jitting and everything else. What right? is this, like 83, we, we, 84? That was before that. Wow. That was before that. Wow. Remember, 80, 80, 84, I'm, I'm in Texas. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. So, uh, actually, The Wizard, everybody knows from radio. Yeah, everybody should know who The Wizard was is. On my skateboard, was on my skateboard team. The Wizard <laughs> is a famous DJ, just in case you guys don't know. He GPR, actually DRQ. just got uh, uh, contracted to be the first 
DJ in space. Okay. He's going to be DJing on the moon. What? Uh, so, Elon yeah. Musk just hired him to do that. Okay. Well, shout out to Jeff Mills, <laughs> a.k.a. Jeff the Mills, Wizard. Jeff was on, the my Wizard. Skate- was on my skateboard team. He broke Prince in Detroit. He was the, he was the one. He broke a lot actually, of records in actually Detroit. Mo- mm. Actually, Mojo broke Prince. Oh, was it Mojo? It was definitely Mojo. Oh, Without okay, a okay. Doubt it was Mojo. Okay, it was Mojo. We were all we were all sitting at home listening to Mojo break friends. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So when I sat on my skateboard team, I started calling companies to get sponsorship. So smart. So and then, you know, my, you know, well, that's another Yo. discussion about my mother. She was ready to kill me for the phone bill. <laughs> of course, because every skateboard company was in California, and I want a phone. Wow. I'm blazing minutes. This is this is back before cell phones. You didn't have plans like that. I'm blazing blah, 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 hours at a time. The phone bill, the phone bill was retarded. She was ready to kill me. Oh no! But I got a but she was supportive, and I got a sponsor by four companies. This is incredible. So that kind of led me to. Being in that mindset. So yeah. what happened was, uh, fast forward, I, I did my last year of high school. I went to Cass Tech here, left Detroit, went to, went to Texas, finished high school in Houston, came back home in between starting college. Okay. And I got with Jeff, and we had an idea of doing a, a show, a rap show. Well, hip-hop show, basically. We we're going to have rappers and break dances. He and I were going to DJ. In Detroit? In Detroit, okay. yeah. And we, we said we'd take it around the city, and then, I mean, we'd take it around the, the state and then hopefully the region, you know, Ohio, Chicago, whatever. So while we're plotting this show, right, and um, ironically, one of our break dancers, they really tight group, end up dancing with Helene. Uh, oh, yeah, strings. My man, my man Spanky, wherever you are, dear Spanky, what up? One of the most incredible break dancers I ever knew. Mm. So um, we put this show together called, I'm trying to remember the name of the damn show. Um, in, in so doing, I... We were out record hunting one day. We were at the Salvation Army down on like 4th Street, right? Hey, mm-hmm. shout out to 4th Right, right. Hunting, hunting for <laughs> records, right? Uh, so we, we come back home with this back, badge of re- back, batch of records. And there was one record that's it's really weird. I've always been kind of intuitive. And so this one record was on Megatone. I remember to this day, it was like a, a teal blue cover, whatever, whatever. Now, I knew the label, and I knew they had nothing to do with hip-hop, rap music, nothing. <laughs> it was a dance label. High energy dance music. Their two I biggest know this, acts. I know this label. Right. Their two <laughs> biggest acts were Sylvester and the Weather Girls. Right. right. Wait, wait. If you are, like, I'm 46. If you're probably around, I'm going to say it, somewhere around 45, 40, 45, 44, 45 and up, you know the record label that he's talking about. Right. Wait, Brittany, do you know what label he's talking about? I don't about? know oh, what label man. that is. It's okay, boo. Be sure to Google it. Megatone, M E G A T O N E. So anyway, so I called them up, and and it, we had a list of labels we were calling up to get support for, like I did for the record for the skateboard team to get support for the tour. So I called them up and I talked to a woman named Demetra Mavis, young white chick, very cool, super. She was about as high energy as the label was. She was like wow. a million miles an hour. So she says, "Well, look." Uh, we need somebody to do local promotions. What do you think about doing that? I'm like, that sounds great, but I'm getting ready to go back to Texas. To Wait a minute, to, she, to where is she? She was in California. She was in California. The label is based out of San Francisco. Okay. So she's in California. So I said, well, look, I'm getting ready to go back to Texas to go to school because mm-hmm. I got two scholarships to UT, and I put them off, try and get some, get some money. So she said, well, that's great because we, we have a really big following in Houston. 
Wow. Blah, 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 right? So I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. So when I got to Hunter Houston, <laughs> what? Uh, my first song was a song called Can't Keep Hold, Can't Keep Hold Nobody's Guy Named Kenny James. Mm-hmm. By the grace of God, I got it to number 30 on the top station in the city called Was it good? It was a pretty good song. You can, you can pull it up. Say it one more time. Kenny James, J-A-M-E-S. The song is called Can't Keep Holding On. Wait, wait what kind of song is this? R&B song. Okay. It was R&B. They decided to get off into the R&B realm, which is why they needed someone doing local promotions. Got it. So, you know, at the time, their roster, like I said, the roster was Sylvester, the Rother Girls. They had gotten Billy Preston, who I loved. Yeah. They had gotten Sherry Payne, who's Frida Payne's sister, Detroiter. Mm-hmm. I've always had a chance to work with Detroiters throughout my career, which Isn't is fortunate. Yeah, it was very cool. But like I said, Detroit's got so Detroit much talent. Detroit is everywhere. You cannot avoid it. And it's all over the music <coughs> industry. Right. So that was dope. Nice. <laughs> so she Brittany just pulled up Kenny James. Okay. So I get it to I get it to no but the other side of it was that because it was a high energy dance label, it let me meet the record pools, the top record pools in the city. Mm, because they right. were playing it, because they were all run by, by white guys playing high energy music. Right, right. So I got to meet every DJ in the city. Mm. And this was like post Disco era, post disco, but like pre house music era, it kinda, or you know, like the beginning of the, the beginning birth. of house, the beginning of, of techno, yeah, right there, you know, um, you know, it was it was right there that that nexus. Mm-hmm. So I started meeting all these cats. I started DJing around the city a little bit because I met all the top DJs. And ironically, I had this one record. I think I told Kari this story. I had this one record called. Uh, the soul. Everybody knows in Detroit as it's time. It's time. Super super jit record, super yeah. breakdance record. So, so awesome. I had Groovy. a copy. I had a copy of that record, right? And I and, and nobody else in Houston had that record. Huh. So guys would call me up to come to the club and bring the record. Wow. <laughs> Cause it was that How hot. It was that hot. That? I mean, it was one of those records that you put on on the dance floor went crazy. Oh, yeah, even now. Yeah, so everybody won that record. They're like, yo, can you come by the club tonight? I'll pick you up. Can you come <laughs> Wow. <by?" laughs> so I got to go to all these clubs. I got to DJ at these clubs because of that one record, right? Fast forward, uh, I end up doing, um, there's a place called, so it's called Showbiz Pizza Place, which uh, got absorbed by Chuck E. Cheese. Mm-hmm. It was their com- it was their competitor, right? So I did um, I did um, weekend parties, Friday and Saturday night, these teen parties. Mm-hmm. And what I did those teen parties, I did promotions. I feel like I went to one when I was a teenager. <laughs> I, I did I did promotions. I did like a Purple Rain party. I did all these giveaways and stuff, and that got me even more entrenched with some of the record labels. Mm. Now this is all before I went to UT and started the company. Mm-hmm. So that fall. I was ready to go to college. Uh, like it was August, one fall yet, and uh, they offered me a job doing promotions at check at at showbiz. Yeah, like like money, like like twenty k or something salary. I was like, really? For like one night a week or <laughs> no? It'd be like a regular a job, right? Wow. Like like a real job for for money. I was going to get a salary, and I I almost took it, but I'm like, you know what? I've always wanted to go to college. Mm-hmm. I got a chance to do it. Let me go. So yeah. I, I did. I did. Um, Great choice. And when I got mm-hmm. to UT, when I got to UT, I uh, started meeting cats around campus. And I started DJing mm-hmm. parties around campus. I started DJing stuff for like all the frats and sororities and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that led me to like the, my freshman year. In the, at the end of my freshman year, I started the promotions and marketing company. Wow. 
and that's how that went down because I built these relationships with these different different labels, mm-hmm. and I was getting records all these other guys weren't weren't getting. I said, you know what? There's got to be a way to capitalize on this. I could be the satellite office, or we, my partner, his name is Ward White. I could be I could be the satellite office for these different labels that can't afford like a Warner Brothers or a, a Capital or a Sony. Yeah. And so that's how the idea came about. What a great what idea. What a mind. Right? <laughs> and then, so now let's catapult you. We're going to put you in the time machine. Time machine. And then we, sh- <laughs> we shake it up and we throw you in 19... 19- let's put you in 1990. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Told you about your sound of that. 1990. <laughs> Chell Rock jumps up on the scene. Okay. <laughs> right? He's so perfect. You saw how he br- came in with that lyric? Brittany's looking at us like, I'm a millennial. What song is I'll that? Stop. I didn't Grandpa. know we had exited the time machine. <laughs> I was like still in there. <laughs> so Chell Rock jumps on the scene, and I get to jump to New York. Okay. And uh, I go to work for Electric Records. What an exciting time. Yeah, it was. It was bananas. Mm. It Especially was. for him. Can y'all, like, give me the imagery, please? Just a little. Uh, the imagery is almost what you're getting now. Walk, you know, flat top. Fades. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Really? Flat you seen that kick cut commercial? Give me a break. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. With the guy get the boombox. That was that was New York. Nineteen nineties. That was it. Do uh, the right thing. Yeah, exactly. All of that. Mm-hmm. All of that. A little and then a little rebel going Kinda on. Kind of bright colors. Air airbrush jackets. Biker <laughs> shorts. <laughs> with your face the on end. it. No, no, the biker shorts was ending. And uh you know, flip up glasses. All was, the, was the money in hip hop at its prime, or or it was it was about? Hip- no, 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 no. Hip-hop. It, was a, it was about to. It okay. was it was the when they still called the golden age. Yeah, eighty eighty seven to about ninety two. It was out of control with quality. Actually. Yeah, okay, that was yeah. the thing. It was like quality stuff. So I get to I get to New York, and I'm having. I had the good fortune to. To be at the genesis of a, you know, there was nothing else there at Lecture before that. And all the artists that we had on the label pretty much were new artists. It was Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Mm. It was Leaders of the New School. Mm-hmm. It was KMD, who were an offshoot of Third Base, mm-hmm. uh, who produced. Peach Fuzz. Yeah, right, who produced MF Doom, that okay. people know now. Yeah. Uh, it was a girl named Shazzy. It was, um, um, oh my God, what was his name? What was his name? Um, Believe it or not, a group from the another once again group from Detroit, Ticey and Woody. Hmm. I don't know if you remember them. I don't. Uh, it was my man Amp Fiddler and his Aunt brother Fiddler. Bub and his brother Bubs uh, had a group, Mister Fiddler, and that's mm-hmm. when I first connected with those guys. Those are my brothers, man. Um, shout out to Amp. Shout out rest to Amp Fiddler. Rest in peace to Bubs. That's my man. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fiddler, you know, just in crazy, uh, incredible funk artist. He played with. Uh, you know, George Clinton. Lucy and Pearl. Everybody. Produced for Seal, Corinne Bailey mm. Ray. I mean, the, the. He's just incredible. Yeah, the He created Jay Dilla. Raphael said, mm. yes, he did. Yeah, he taught Jay how to program. Mm-hmm. Um, Slum you know, Village. All of that. All, all of that. that. And, and, and still making incredible music to this day. Still touring. Go, go check out Return of the Ghetto Fly. Yeah. Pull it up on YouTube, yeah. Spotify. It's ridiculous. The video, the video's dope. It's super Detroit. Mm-hmm. You gotta love it. It's yeah. so so Detroit. Mm-hmm. It's roller skating. It's mm. it's, it's hot sauce. <laughs> it's awesome. This is so powerful. So, um, you know those those were actually got to work with. Uh, it's PCL, brand newbie, and mm-hmm. um, uh, Shinehead. And then I got to do 
um, some of the R and B artists once again get a chance to work with Detroit. Anita mm-hmm. Baker, Keith Sweat, mm-hmm. um, Delight, and Touch. Uh, you know, did some of the alternative stuff for black colleges. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was in Spiral Carpets. Um, um, Norman Cook. Um, it was. Um, oh my God, Bjork. Oh my God! I used yeah, to love yeah. Bjork. So I got. To I work, mean, I, I still love Bjork. I had a good fortune working with all all those incredible talents when I got to New York working for Elektra. Um, while I was there, <laughs> I had I had met I had met Beanie Medina when I was doing South by Southwest. Yeah, people I, I brought down right, and um, so you know at a conference, Benny Benny stepped to me and said, "Hey, Benny sent me a letter. Said, hey, you know, congratulations on the job. We were kids. We were." I was looking at you for our rap department. Well, Benny Medina, in case you guys don't know, is uh, what was uh, Fresh Prince uh, manager. And he's the person that the TV show that Fresh Prince was right, made right, after right. He was the, he his was life. The, right. He okay. The, the, the mind mm-hmm. behind the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. And now he's, and now and he was a lot of artist manager. Yeah, and now he's Uber Jennifer manager. Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, he's okay. the Uber manager of Jennifer Lopez. Mm-hmm. And now he's in huge trouble for a sexual assault. <laughs> so, yeah, Benny Medina. Hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if y'all could just have seen that facial expression, like, oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, you know, there, there's probably more coming, but probably more coming. You, you just, you just don't know. Just don't but anyway, uh, you know, they wanted me said that hey, we thought about you for our impending department. So I got kind of courted over the course of about six months or so to go to Warner Brothers. Him, Benny, and the head of Black Music at the time named Ray Harris. I took it. Of course, <laughs> I took it, and it got it. It gave me the chance to reunite. With cats that I worked with previously, Fly Tie from Cold Chillin' and the entire Cold Chillin' roster, who we'd already done independent work for. It also allowed me to reconnect with Sir Mix-A-Lot, who I'd done independent for. Who your uh, mom had done marketing for. Yes, exactly. And mm-hmm. mom went on the road with us wow. uh, to, do, to do merchandising for wow. Sir Mix-A-Lot. So it was cool to make that reconnection because, you know, Mix, Mix, Mix was another one that had, people don't realize, the label Nasty Mix Records was his label. Yeah, he was one of the uh, pioneers, yeah, I should say, yeah, uh-huh. in like owning independent label yeah. and real estate, which he still does to this day. So Mix got a little cheese on the low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he he really did invest in himself and his dream. Mm-hmm. So you know, I got a chance to work with him. I I got a chance to work with Ice T again, who we had done independent work for also, uh, all the way from his from six in the morning. To Ryan Pays, we did independent work for him. And then we did, you know, we did work, uh, you know, I worked with him back at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. So it was a great time, and I got a chance to work with the man, Prince. Mm. I actually wrote an ad for Prince by happenstance. I had written an ad for um, an artist on the label, another another group on the label. I think it's called Rappenstein, right? And Prince saw the ad on Benny Medina's desk mm. and liked it. And he's like, I want to use this ad for my single Get Off. So Benny told me, they sent it back to me, had to retool it a little bit, and there you go. What? You if know you, the song? If you want to if you want to see it, it's, it's on my Instagram. Go to at Rhythm Alchemy, R-H-Y-T-H-M-A-L-C-H-E-M-Y. It's on IG. And I actually have the ad on my Instagram, so you can take a look at it. 
So that was a highlight. That was definitely a highlight. Other, I think the other big highlight while I was at while I was at Warner was um, um, introducing EPMD to Roger Troutman and having mm. them, and having them do a remix for him. Wow! For, for his song called "Everybody Get Up." Okay. Crazy, crazy weekend session. <laughs> hmm I can imagine. Roger was such an and in recipes. Roger was a friend of mine. I miss him immensely. Um, he was a, a a really eclectic, eccentric kind of cat, man. I mean, we came into the studio after we we picked EPMD, EPMD up from from the airport, took him by Ros, Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, mm. requisite stop, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, we got to go to Roscoe's. We go to Roscoe's. Everybody gets full. We go into the studio. We go to Larrabee Studio. I don't know. It must have been about eleven o'clock at night, right? We walk in. the The speakers are booming. Mm. And Roger's sitting there, head banging, with a white tuxedo with a red tie and cummerbund, wow. and completely blacked out Ray Bans. We were like, "Where the hell are we?" Wow, <laughs> that's awesome, though, right? But then it was very, 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 very awesome. I mean, it was a wild, and to make it even more surreal and awesome, Prince was upstairs. Whoa. Hmm. And was upstairs for the whole weekend. So, you know, we, we saw him periodically. He came down to kick with Roger. It was, it was a very, very wild. Man, that's incredible. Very wild. So now take us to what's what comes after this phase. Meeting Piper. Yeah. On the streets of New York. I did, right? <laughs> that, but that had to be what? Maybe 94? Yeah, I think about 94, wasn't that it? Was Somewhere like 94. 94, maybe 95? Uh, maybe the, 95. I think at the time I was I was managing Lord Finesse. and Yes. Uh, co executive produced his album, mm-hmm. the, the, the Awakening. Yeah, and I met you mm-hmm. with who was we, who was I with? Come on, how good are you? I can't remember. It was it was it was Detroit hometown again. Who I was with Carlos McKinney. You were okay, yeah, because Carlos <laughs> McKinney. Shouts out to the McKinney family, Definitely. world famous music family from Detroit. Galen, what's up? So many awesome shouts to my brother Ali. Khalil, definitely, like everybody, definitely. but uh, Carlos McKinney—that's like my family. That's like my brother. Right, right. Yeah. So we rented Miss Piper, speeding through the streets of New York. Yeah. Working for some photographer do. at the time. Yeah, actually, you invited me um, to the. Lord, it was a video. Let me see. It was Laura Finesse. Uh huh. It was one of those compilation videos that they did, and I was trying to think of the name of all of the different artists that were in there. I do remember that Sadat X was in the song. Yeah, yeah. And it was two more artists, and I can never remember who. Oh, I we, just we, remember Lord Finesse we and actually, Sadat X. We, we shot three videos that weekend, actually. Oh. One was at his mansion, at this mansion out in Jersey. I wasn't at so that we one. Had, so we had, let's see. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, was at, was, I was at the one that was at the club, and it was all the girls. Okay, I, okay. What was the name? What, what song was that? I can't remember. I just remember all these girls being jealous of me and trying to sabotage and do all that. And that I just remember telling the girls, like, I am not a dancer. I wish I could remember the name of the I'm club. I'm a photographer. It was, it was a club on, was it 8th? Around 8th, there. Yeah, it yeah. was one of those nice it was clubs of, it was that they didn't let black people into. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, it was like, it was like, uh, Finesse had a, he had a, you know what, honestly, and sometimes things just happen a certain way. He had what would be a classic album. It was amazing. He had amazing yeah. talent. He had, he had Large Professor. Yeah. OC. Yep. MC Light. Yeah. Fat Joe. Damn. Sadat X. Grand Poobah. K 
KRS-One. Uh, it was a phenomenal album. Uh, let's see. Uh, Kid Capri. Uh, Doo-Wop. He just had so many talents on that album. And you know it's 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 a it's an unsung gem. I never mm. I never understood why. So if you really 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 love hip hop, you'll love like Lord Finesse, Ditc. Yeah. Like there's yeah, just yeah. These, these certain artists yeah. that are like really phenomenal writers and just yeah. really phenomenal poets and really phenomenal mm. right. MCs. Showbiz AG, Showbiz AG, they're all on the album. They're all, all on the album. And for some reason, those cats can never get. To what I would call that next level, mm-hmm. Brand Nubian did somewhat, somewhat, somewhat. somewhat. You know, here, here's I got to I got to put this out there. They did a they just did an unsung TV one, did an unsung on Brand Nubian. I didn't get a phone call. My boss Doug, who we all reported to, didn't get a phone call. Fred Jackson, who was my assistant, who who remained at Electra after I left, and still worked with the group, and works at TV one. Didn't get a phone call. Who did the unsung? None of us were in it. Some white millennial? No, nope. See, that's the worst part about it. It's a brother. P. Frank Williams. How does old the is this person? Old enough to know better. Knows, knows, knows me personally. Right. Has my has my dossier. Right. And didn't get a call. Now, I, like you said, I'd expect it from the white cats. You know. Hey, yeah. But a brother, it was it was disheartening to say the least. Yeah. And a lot of the times that stuff is just about... I'm going to prove that I did all this kind of stuff by myself. I don't know what it's about. I don't know what it's about, but, you know, to have <laughs> to have to have none of us in in that in that documentary, you know, I'm very proud of the work that I did with that group. Mm-hmm. You know, they came their album came out after I had gone to Warner, but you know, the foundation was set. There was a lot a lot of work put in. I believe in those cats. I think they're stupid talented. Mm. I mean, you know, it's very rare that you get a group where everybody's a soloist. Yeah. You know, every one of those guys can go, can go dolo easily. Every mm. one of them. But that was that time period, too. Cause, and also that crew. Because, like, that was the era of, like, show and proof. That was the era of, you know, there's it's still battling was really, you know, uh, a big part of the culture. Also, too, um, authenticity. You know what I'm saying? Like, authenticity was a uh, really important part of um, of the culture. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Where, uh, you know, you had to be about uh, not only just what is in your lyrics or your content, but mm-hmm. you also had to be about that, uh, how you delivered it, your talent, right. your delivery, your <coughs> style, your, you know what I'm saying? So now I'll tell you a story they didn't have in the unsung, which was really important. Um, there's a couple of things that happened. One was the group was about to get dropped from the label. Who? Because brand Nubian, what they were pro, they were super pro black. They were five percenters. Yeah, uh, you know, swine, unapologetic. Jew, they had they had some comments about the Jews, blah blah blah. <laughs> and we know who ran the label. Of course, <laughs> they were Jewish, right? Yeah, they were really about to get drop kicked from some other, you know, from that some other internal transgressions, you know, overspending, blah blah blah. But just so happened. And it just shows you the power of even then of like media and 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 ego and prestige. Yeah. <clears throat> the Sunday Times, you know, is a big deal. Yeah. Especially with people in the upper, upper echelon. Yeah. Of business. Huge. Big deal. big deal. Yeah. In the, it's around the world, but especially in New York. Mm-hmm. Well, it just so happened that they got a placement. Uh, the Sunday Times did a review 
a brand Nubian. Boom. Oh, my God. That was it. Wow. <laughs> that was it. They were they were safe. Yeah. Get out of jail free card. Capitalism because, wins. Because it was it was it was like you you know, it was like that that for for that upper echelon, it was, you know, dinner table conversation. Oh, Bob, I saw your group in Sunday Dimes, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's Screw like my ethics. Yeah, right, right. All of a sudden <laughs> all of a sudden they were good to go. Yeah. And that, that really saved them, you know, mm. and no one really tells that story. Mm. That Kind or of does anyone know that? And, and ta-da, you know, we get the benefit of their talent and, right. and enjoy their music. And, you know, Lord Jamar, shouts out to him. <laughs> uh, podcasting. Yeah, right. As a, he's a pod father. Jamar, that uh, dude. Him and Rodiga. But uh, they're, all, they're all great cats. You know, shout to Jamar, shout to Sadat, shout mm-hmm. to Poob. You know, just just really, really, really talented cats. They were, they were cool by me, so, you know. Yeah. So what um, happens, okay, so, you know, you're in the music industry and you're doing a lot of um, promote. Uh, at this time, you're doing also promotion. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't at a label per se. I, actually, I left, um, you know, the politics, the other politics. I was out at Warner Brothers. I was working with the label. I, had, I started my own company again, which I have now, Rhythm Alchemy. But I wasn't, it was kind of dormant in a sense. I was doing some small things. Mm-hmm. But I was working with a label. Uh, it was a, it was, um, a production situation. And management, we had a deal, production deal with East West, and also with RCA. Um, the company was called Motor Jam. Okay. Uh, it was run by Steve Salem, uh, and then brother cat Dave Ng. And Steve managed Lisa Lisa, and and Full Force, mm-hmm. uh, and some other groups. And um, the biggest act that we had at that concern was Can Snow. You feel the beat with them. That's all right. Our, our biggest act was Snow. <laughs> For people who remember Snow, remember was, Snow? Snow, Snow was Snow was the first big yeah he was rap a big sensation white, white rapper to come out of Toronto. Okay. He was pre pre Drake yeah pre Drake. Lick him yeah. up. Sold about six million albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a song called Informer, which was the big hit. Yeah. Um, so that was that was our 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 mainstay at Motor Jam. Mm-hmm. We also had a, a smaller, lesser known group called Half Pit, Half Dead that fell into that. Horrorcore genre for a minute, right? Remember that? Yeah, horrorcore. That's <laughs> like uh, what? Uh, uh, grave diggers. It? Yeah, grave diggers cetera, and yeah. all that stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they had a song called E-Sham. "Better Off Dead." Yeah, all that. Mm-hmm. So they had a song called "Better Off Dead." Uh, we had a, another um, uh, artist who was actually MC Shan's wife at the time. Wow. Um, so yeah, we we had a few things. Some of the stuff had a little bit of pub. But Snow was the big one. Okay. Snow was the big winner. You know, had, at the time, two albums, did Bafo, huge numbers, world tour, blah, blah, blah. So, and then I was managing Lord Finesse. Hmm. And a couple other groups. I had managed uh, Simply E for a minute, if you remember her from the Sugar Hill soundtrack. Mm. Sugar brought up Sugar Hill earlier. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and that was doing, I started doing the Managers Alliance, which we did at the Recording Academy offices, right. NARIS. And if people don't know, NARIS are the people who do the Grammys. Right. It's the National Association of Recording Arts and Sciences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that brought us a lot of people. You know, we, 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 I think we did some really good work at uh, the Managers Alliance while it lasted. Yeah, and you it, did. Yeah, and it ended for years, and every year, Somebody or some somebody's asked when we we're going to bring it back. Mm-hmm. You're going to bring it back to Detroit. There you go. Hey. Fast, fast forward to 2018, yeah. Detroit, Michigan. 
I'm doing the Managers Alliance for all this incredible talent that's mm. here. Right. Um, you know, with the help of, of incredible talents like Piper Carter mm-hmm. <laughs> and Kari and Nina Payne, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted I want to do the Managers Alliance. I'm going to do the Managers Alliance here to help out this talent, to help refine it, to help push it forward and out into the world without, once again, having to leave Detroit. Yeah, because that's something, I mean, that's a common goal. Um, myself, personally, that's one thing, you know, in, I want to say, I think it was like 2014, 2013, 2014, Cranes Detroit um, did something like, I think they invested about $30 million mm-hmm. into a study to do research around how much money uh, Detroit is losing by not having its own music industry. Right. And it was in the hundreds of millions. And it is. It uh, is. Completely. I mean, from, from, from actual performances and performers to tourism. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and having uh, an, an internal infrastructure, internal ecosystem. Um, yes, yes. They, they did a tour um, around after they did the study and after they got the findings. And when I had the gallery, they came to like um, – the uh, they went to UR, which is Underground Resistance, which mm-hmm. is uh, uh, now the uh, what call the Techno Museum or the Mad Mike Bass and Company. And then they t- went to the Motown Museum, obviously for obvious reasons, to see that. Um, I believe they went to WCHB, which was the um, uh, is now a Christian radio, but it was independent um, radio station uh, where uh, historically um, a lot Motown records were quote unquote broken. Um, uh, it went to um, just a plethora of independent music venues and businesses um, located in Detroit for whether it was a long period of time or a newer period of time. Um, just interviewing people around how they do business, um, what they think is needed, how they were able to maintain or sustain themselves. Um, through what is considered to be an economic cri- what was considered to be an economic crisis, um, how they uh, were able to mm-hmm. maintain and sustain themselves uh, in a city that um, doesn't support it as a business, and so um, they got together um, different heads of different record labels, all you know, mm-hmm. Sony and BMG and blah 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 blah, as well as the folks from you know ASCAP and just mm-hmm. different um, support systems around the industry itself. Right. Um, mostly that do the 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 part around distribution and uh and and, and that aspect, um, as well as the automotive industries and what they came up with. Well, and also. Uh, these venture capitalists and these type of people. And what they came up with is um, sort of a complex uh, multi-tiered idea around how to create this infrastructure in in this industry. Obviously, though, the consciousness is still around centering corporations and corporations leading and corporations directing you know what I'm saying? So well, I think not, what you're talking they about really, they really can't, is a mix though. of it. They really can't. They, you can't. You can't do the corporate thing without the, 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 the ground-level talent. Well, what I mean more is that they would control the industry, so to speak, right? So they control. So um, what I mean by that is they control 
like uh, what I want to say, the financial interest or the funding right. around all that, and the ownership and the well, ownership around see. these things. I see the, a great opportunity. That's great for opportunity people, for people to own like us their own stuff, right? To, yeah. to, to, and then have those people have to deal with them. Exactly. You know, because you're the the tastemaker. Is mm. is there? You, yeah. You know, you're the, you're the tastemaker. You're the content creator. Mm-hmm. You're the content promoter. You know, you 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 you've got hold of the audience. Yeah. All those all the those following. areas all those areas are wide open. Yeah. They're wide open at this point, and those people will have to come in, and and deal with you, negotiate with you, partner with you. Whoever you may be, I mean, even even um, Dan Gilbert and Big Sean have come together. They're going to have a movie theater, right? Um, that's going to have some sort of venue inside of it. So I think that that outwardly, right, is a uh, an indication of where people's dollars, or not right, people's, right. where corporations' uh, dollars are going to um, to go. Even in the sense of creating this arena that. Nobody wanted this. Let me tell you something. I hope, I would wish, and and, and I think the story needs to be out there. You brought up Mike Banks, Underground Resistance, Submerge Records, over on the boulevard. People should not only only know what they do and what they've Mm -hmm. done. They should adopt it. Adopt that model. Mike has been one of the staunchest supporters, one of the staunchest proponents of Detroit that I know. He even gets on me for not not moving back. He's on my ass all the time, like, when you go move back to Detroit, when you go move back to Detroit. I feel that I could serve a purpose and do serve a purpose of being that conduit since I'm in New York, but I'm from mm-hmm. Detroit and I'm mm-hmm. very staunchly Detroit. But Mike is like, you can't do it unless you're in Detroit. Mm. <laughs> but I love him for that. I love him for that. And, and the fact that he gives people, if they look, if they know about it, the blueprint. Yeah. Mike has, they own their own distribution. They've always owned. They've they, always been independent. Right. They own their building. They own their means of they production. They own everything. The only thing they don't own, and they will at some point, is the ability to actually manufacture product. Hmm. In terms of, what do you mean? An actual physical product. I mean, it's. It's. I know it's Look, diminished. It's diminished now for you know electronic downloads and so forth. Right. But they still sell product. They still oh, sell. Oh, they move vinyl. product. They still sell CDs. Huge vinyl. People come to buy this stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> and so you know they don't have that manufacturing capability, but everything else they do merchandising. You know they they have the the first and only techno museum within the building. Right. Mm-hmm. And people come literally from across the globe. All Australia. Over the globe. India, China, mm-hmm. Japan. And it's on East <coughs> Grand Boulevard. East Grand Boulevard. Which is... Just past John R. Just past 3,000 3, East Grand. And it's and, and the interesting thing is, they're on East Grand Boulevard, and Motown's on West Grand Boulevard. It's the right. same street. Mm. Exactly. And exactly. they're approximately... Well, no, Motown's from, more further from the past, to the, Basically from, from the Woodward. past to the future. Yeah, from the past to the and future. And isn't, isn't, isn't it interesting? And Woodward separates like the east from the west. Right, but isn't it interesting? You go from the past, the west, to the east. Yeah, to the east, my sister, to the east. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, to the east. Yes. And it's and it's beautiful too because WCHB, <coughs> the radio station that I was talking about, is right, right. next door. Right, it's in between. It. And and you know the the empire grows. Submerged now has the building on the other side. Of really the former good. WCHB, which I was the old NAACP office. Right, 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 right. 
and 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 across the street is now the home of Moody Man, okay. Kenny Dixon. All right, go Moody uh, Man. Another incredible Detroit talent. Yes. Uh, I think down the street from there is Theo Parrish. Mm, okay. So, so they already so, locking down so a under, little understand, pyramid corridor. Understand what's going on. Right. The building blocks of ownership yeah. of community is happening. Have already been set. Take notes, people. Take notes. Also, too, what's interesting, uh, mm. on a corporate level, though, uh, Motown has now investment. Is there $30 million as well that's gone into their new plans to right, expand right. so they they have purchased the land and so um in addition to the museum which they have um and maintain and upgraded and all these things um they're going to be building right in back of it a huge um theater and that theater is going to have like a motown review is going to have like new artists going to have all this other stuff so wow. that's also going to be an incubator uh, for talent. So these things are, like I said, on a corporate level are being built. And like you said, there's people here who have already set a precedent right, right. for the independence. So um, the job of the us's then is to like fill in those gaps. Here's here's my issue with Mo- the Motown, <coughs> the Motown situation over the years. I understand people were upset that Motown left Detroit. It it didn't it didn't have to mean a death sentence. It it for some reason everybody decided. They couldn't get off their ass and be another Motown. You know what I mean? They had. To they be, didn't know had, how. It, yeah, they did. They had. Barry didn't know how. He right. Just did it. They had the only one, and right. then he left them with the blueprint because guess what? People all over the world copy the Motown aesthetic. Everyone. So you're already here. Here's mm-hmm. what bothered me the most. Okay, Motown moves to L.A. Whatever, right? Every time they tried to have a new incarnation of Motown. Everybody's like, I'm going to return Motown to its former glory. Right. But they never got anybody from Detroit to do it. No. How in the hell? Because they don't respect no, Detroit. No, no. How in the hell are you going to recreate Motown without the background that spawned it? There's That's a certain, the consciousness. There's the a consciousness is like, like we said before, <coughs> there is no value for black life. There is no value for black well, genius. Well, even more than that. I mean, you know, you get, and I, and, and, and I know these cats, so no diss. You know, you get Andre Harrell from Uptown. Talented mm-hmm. individual, talented record executive. But you can't take a New York mentality and recreate what came out of a Detroit mentality. Agree. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. There's a certain ethos, a certain philosophical bent, a certain perspective yeah. that comes with growing up in the D it's a blue and working through collar it. It's not, just, it's not even just blue collar. <laughs> it's it's aspirational to the point. Right. It, it, it's aspirational to the point. It forces you to think of the next thing. Yeah. And the next thing. Yeah. Because you're already in the middle of this thing. Right. right we right. all had an idea of what it was like to be in New York, how we had to work. Mm-hmm. To to win, we say you know if I go to New York or I go to Paris or I go to L.A., I got to be this good. Yeah. Only to find out when you got there, you were better. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you were in there, you were in the house shedding your ass off, yeah. working your ass off. You were at the you were at the rec center or the community center or the basement mm-hmm. or somebody's garage working your ass off. Yeah. And that's what spawned Motown. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You you go to these other places. It was ready made. They had labels there already. They yeah, had, yeah, yeah. They had magazines there already. 
They had so, blueprints for it, infrastructure. It, it's a different. It was a different set. So you keep getting these guys to return Motown that never knew what it was in the first fucking place. Mm. Right, right. That's what always pissed me off. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to run Motown. At least I could. At least I know what the hell happened. I know what went on. Yeah. I know. I know the. You know how the mentality that came around it. Yeah. It's been ridiculous, which is why they've never really been winning. Mm-hmm. They've been half-assing for decades. Yeah. Well, and, and and they never think to come to what the fucking place they got the talent from in the first in the fir- from the beginning. Yeah, because the mentality is also with capitalism, white supremacy, which is all linked to all this stuff. Is that every industry they can is that they can remove the source and just copy. Yeah, what exactly. it looks like exactly. But it's so not gonna have that soul. It's you, not gonna have it. It's not gonna taste. That stew ain't gonna taste the same. You need you need grandma to make that stew. Let me tell you something. Only grandma I mean, can make that exactly. stew. Exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, quick quick segue before I go to what I was gonna say. It's so funny you brought up grandma because I use this analogy all the time, and it it, it even segues to what you were talking about, Brittany, earlier with with the music. I say that people, current music is like McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's. You know, you can eat it, you can sustain yourself on it, you know, it's good, cool, right? But let somebody take you to their house and let the grandmother fix them a meal. Mm-hmm. You can't beat a grandma meal. No. A grandma meal is that exceptional artist. Yep. You know, an Erica, mm-hmm. a D'Angelo, mm-hmm. you know, a Stevie, a mm-hmm. Prince. Those are grandma meals. Who, Erica, by the way, does come out of the Kadar school who did... Who was asked to take over the L.A. Motown? That way, that's a whole other stuff. We're talking okay, about that but another podcast. But, but, <laughs> but they, those are those are all grandma meals, right? And what what should happen? The industry should be filled with more grandma meals mm-hmm. than these bullshit fast food meals. Wouldn't it be nice? That's the problem. You know, they made them the exception exception and not the rule. And this other fly by night crap, the rule. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the issue. So what I was saying is that. There is no re- okay. You know how you've got to deal with you know corporate America, whatever. So okay, Motown is corporate now. It's in L.A., but the first thing somebody should have done was had a satellite office in Detroit, twenty four seven. That's what we gonna do. There should be an A and R office in Detroit for every freaking label. That's what we because gonna do. every working band, every touring band in the country has at least one cat from Detroit in the freaking band That's if they're not running do. the band. That's what we got. Atlantic actually had, or has, or had, I'm not sure, an A&R office here. Man. Not sure if they still do. Anyway, New, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have to, like, continue this on another podcast. we got to bring you back. When are you coming back to Detroit? I intend to be back fairly regularly. Uh, okay, because you're going to get the, this off the ground. The Manager's Alliance is going to be happening every other month until such time it warrants more. But okay. uh, our next one's going to be in August. Okay, that's what's and up. if you and if you want to connect and you want to get invited, you can email me at rhythm r h y t h m alchemy a l c h e m y capital e capital x like x ray capital p like ball at gmail dot com. You can also hit me on IG at rhythm alchemy piece of cake. And you're cure worthy k e i r. That's right. I before e except after k. Oh, the i is before the e. <laughs> Okay, I always say K E I R. It is, K-E-I-R. no, it's right. Oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah, you're right. This is so, such a great lesson. 
Man. So, okay, so we're going to bring Careworthy back. He gave us so much knowledge and information that is, like, super useful. Uh, is going to be coming back to Detroit to help us with our own incubation of our own uh, ecosystem around creative music industry. There's, a, there's uh, an entire army of talent in this place. Entire army. We just, just got to get that dough, baby. Yeah. Got to get that, that, that Bitcoin. <laughs> that Skrilla. That crypto. Skrilla from Manila. You know, resources, get the bag. What else is it called, Kari? Cheese, chocolate. So, so much. <laughs> so much. The so, yeah. The thing is you need to get no. that information so uh, that yeah. you're a valuable Definitely. asset. Definitely. Yeah. To <laughs> not just acquire money, but to acquire whatever resource needs to be executed. Because it's not really the cash as much as it's the resources that you would use with the cash. And but but the cash too. As my boy, as my man, uh, I had a buddy in Texas named Maltese Marvin Merriweather. Shout, as Maltese said, twenty five, I mean thirty years ago, I'm worth twenty million in ideas alone. There we go, <laughs> right? I love that. And most so, of you all in this room are also. Oh, thank you, my man. That. That's what's up. See that? Spread the love. Yes. Like, and the love keeps spreading. <laughs> so, uh, any last words you want to give, um, Kier, before you go? Yeah, um, you know, I, I've been I've been espousing this since I've been home for these few weeks. If you're in Detroit, everybody knows the press you know, is now stirring the other way. Detroit is hot. Detroit is this. Detroit is different, and it's always been different. It should stay different, and you should stay here. You know, if you've been here this long, this is not the time to leave. Okay. This is the time to get you a piece. If you haven't gotten a piece already, if you got a piece— Polish it up, spruce it up, make it viable, and make these folks pay you because it's going to take a lot to get us out if we don't want to go. I don't think I need to say too much more (laughs) because you said what I would have said. You got anything, Brittany? Well, yes. Just one real quick. You introduced me to Mama Layla earlier. Mama Lila. Mama Mama Laya. Shouts out to Mama Laya. Lila. Lila. Lila Cabell. Lila. She mentioned... Um, her work with Rosa Parks mm-hmm. and mentioned a lot of different things. But the biggest thing that I took from the conversation was when she was in a room with people, she found a way to make her presence be known, not because of the spotlight she wanted, but because she knew she had a mission. Mm. So to me today, that is what you represented in going through mm-hmm. your time machine. Is that you, <laughs> I'm a puller with the J, know how to move in a room full of vultures. Mm. Thank you for that lesson. I'm glad I could help. Uh, I hope I can continue to help. You will, because we're going to make you. <laughs> 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 you got anything you want to add, Kari? I know we're trying to end the podcast. Yeah, well, it ain't even end. It's just start the next one. There we That's go. That's all. We, we, in, we in heavy overtime. You know, it's 245. Uh-oh. But, um... Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, Kier's my man. Um, so we'll be doing more work together. You'll be, Kier will be more involved with Detroit is Different if he's in Detroit. Yeah. I'm, I, I'll be involved with Detroit is Different if I'm not in Detroit. Okay. That too. That okay. too. If I'm in Bangladesh, there we I'm go. down for Detroit. Hey. Getting this Bengali on. Right, that's what I'm talking about. As Bengali as I'm going is Hamtramck, but continue. <laughs> no, we got shoot. Take me, Bangladesh. So I would say my last words are: um, I appreciate you coming, sharing, you know, sharing over the years, you know, with so many people. It's a lot of people who made relationships that are in really powerful places right now in the music industry because 
they were able to connect in a space where they would never have been able to connect before. So uh, I'm very excited about the work that you are going to be doing, you know, uh, moving forward. So just appreciate you. And then I would say, um, yeah, just really um, honored to have you here. So thanks for coming to uh, coming to share with us. So appreciative. You know, and um, yeah, so Detroit is different. It's a Piper Carter podcast. Um, we got to get that email going. I'm going to just go ahead and say just on say this it. podcast. Just say it. It's going to be Piper at DetroitIsDifferent.com. Yep. That will definitely be something that people will be able to email you on this Thursday. Piper at DetroitIsDifferent.com. Yeah. Piper at DetroitIsDifferent.com. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Actually, Brittany at DetroitIsDifferent.com too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like let that. us know, you know, let us know how you feel about the show. Yes. Um, let us know, like, you know, some show topics that you guys want us to cover. Um, let us know when is your birthday. We may shout you out. <laughs> uh, let us know also, too, um, if you uh, have any sort of, like, interesting job that um, allows you to have certain information. We would love to have you as a, an executive producer and a co-executive producer. Right. Uh, this is a very valuable position here uh, with the Piper no Carter podcast, no and it doesn't pay actual capital. But you know what? It does pay. Intellectual it pays in next in intellectual capital and love. Mm. <laughs> Can't be love. Oh, allow me, allow me to throw this one thing in because it speaks to what you talked about at the top of the show. Yeah. Um, you know, we we everybody's on this '80s kick, bringing back the '80s mm-hmm. clothes and music and mm-hmm. style. The one thing that should be brought back. <clears throat> which was very powerful at the time, was the whole stop the violence, self-destruction yeah. movement. Yeah, we need If that. something comes back, that should come. If it, Out of everything that comes back from the 80s, that should come Let's back. Let's bring that back. That has some meaning, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it, it's so super necessary right now. We're going to bring that back. I'm with that. I'm All with right, that. that's That was actually the National Urban League. Get with it. Really? Yeah. Okay, we got an Urban League here. Let's make them work. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, peace, peace. Thanks, Corey. Peace.